Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to everybody. What's happening, people? What's uh, going on? Whether we just don't have any, do we? Do we have volume on the, on this? Is, are we up a little bit? Can we get get our volume up a little bit, buddy? Zach. Yeah, that's that'll work out. That'll work out just fine. That'll work out just great, people. I'm just checking out the latest on the uh, on the hurricane, Hurricane Florence. Of course, today is going to be the big day for all of this. One of the guys from the National Weather Service. Group, you know, the guys who follow the hurricanes said that this this even scares me, which shouldn't be very soothing to, shouldn't be very soothing at all to the people who are living there in the Carolinas and our. Obviously, our prayers go out to all of them, but they're all getting the hell out of there, and that's and 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 uh, and, and rightly so. That's what uh, what needs needs to happen because this thing is going to be uh, pretty bad. And hopefully, we just can uh, we can sit there and 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 know that there's going to be some degree of uh, a good response, and that's gonna that's gonna have to be what we're gonna settle with here. And they're telling me that some of the some of the People who are going to be most affected are just people who are have left their homes, but they're going to have to come back to an area that uh, that really, in the end, is going to uh, be without power for possibly wow, uh, maybe weeks on end, maybe months on end. Uh, I have no, I have no idea, but uh, you know, it goes to show you. And I wonder sometimes, and I know this is kind of strange to say, but I was thinking about this as I watched this thing, and, and, and we've watched this thing come into the coast uh, at the at the level it's coming in, and for for as long as we have uh, watched this thing. And I'm wondering whether or not there was a way that we could have stopped it. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm I, I'm thinking that that for some reason. And, and and it sounds space age and weird, and I'm I'm sure kind of a little bit of crazy, but for some reason, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, how come we can't go in and just like blow this thing up? How come we don't have any means of coming in and dissipating the storm or disrupting the storm or? And, and again, I, I'm not trying to be naive here. I mean, it is a hurricane. It is a natural disaster. I get that. But when you're watching something out in the ocean for that long, I, you know, is there, is there any way, you know how they do cloud seeding and, and, and they can do all this kind of stuff. You wonder how or whether they could find some way to 
have something that just blows this thing up or derails it or does something. I don't know. With all the technology we have, I mean, it's one of those things where, hey, you, you send somebody uh, – we've sent a man on the moon. How come we – how come we can't – do something to stop a storm. Change the weather. That would be really kind of cool and really kind of scary because obviously once you know how to change the weather for the good, you know how to change it for the bad. And I'm assuming that, you know, you could probably, if you wanted to, you could cause a, a storm and cause of this and a cause of that. Although I think they've already determined, as Bill's pointing out on Facebook, they've already determined that President Trump is responsible for this thing. That this is President Trump's fault because of you know yeah you know what the, the global warming thing and yeah but Lord I mean at some point you know this just gets to be such drudgery watching the news media kind of go crazy over this thing and yeah, it's just kind of that's our lot people you know. And, 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 it, and it was the Washington Post. It wasn't like some crazy newspaper like uh, the the Onion or whatever. And Father Tom is saying Art Bell, who I actually – I don't know how you guys feel about Art Bell, but I love the guy. I, I used to love listening to Art Bell every once in a while. Some Art Bell, baby. Kind of a – you know, the, the, the paranormal guy. And he, he'd talk a lot about uh, extraterrestrials. And you know, he was dead serious about this stuff too, and, and I don't blame him. For, for for being that way. But he used to talk about this all the time. As Father Tom points out, you know, whether when you're talking about contrails, weather manipulation, all those kinds of things, things that you could do. Uh, and he uh, really did seriously talk about, you know, uh, weather manipulation and, and things like that. And I don't believe it's beyond the realm of comprehension when you have a situation, you have the kind of technology that we have and the kind of ability that we have to to do whatever we want to do, including sending people to the moon. I mean, I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say, hey, you can put a man on the moon, but you can't do this, you can't do that. I just am watching this thing, and I'm watching it for a, a prolonged period of time. And, yeah, Art Bell did die. I, I felt bad. He uh uh, Scotty says he died uh, on the 13th of April and some were saying that it might have been self-inflicted I don't know but all I know is I remember listening to Art Bell and every once in a while and I I like the guy he did that show I think from his basement or something he he had his own setup and and all that stuff and it was uh yeah and Father Thompson was one of the best things you could uh to listen to when you couldn't fall asleep yeah I remember one time I was when I was driving. I always talk about that drive out to California, out to San Diego, and the Republican National Convention. And I remember going there, and and it was it was a long drive. The 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 last of the drive was it was like seventeen hours, and wound up in Barstow, California, at about midnight or so. But Art Bell kept me company for a period of time. You know, we ha- I had my CDs and stuff like that, but I just turned on the radio. And listened to him out there on the West Coast, and it was uh, he was a, he was an interesting guy for sure. But I'm but I'm looking at this map, and I'm looking at the hurricane, and be, and we've been watching the hurricane since last week. In fact, they've been watching it even before that because they they watch all these kinds of depressions and things like that. So they've been watching it for for a long time now, 
And I just, it just occurred to me as it starts approaching the Carolinas and with the devastation it can cause. When, I, when, I, when the National Weather Service guy said that this storm scares even him, that's when it kind of occurred to me and when I thought to myself, you know what? There's got to be a way we can stop these things. Because you realize like we can we can stop missile attacks. We can we can intercept all kinds of things that are coming our way. And maybe something that's something we ought to ought to consider is is some way. And I don't know how it would be done. I I actually I, I wouldn't even begin to to think about how this possibly could could happen. And I realize we can't, you know, avoid tornadoes and things like that. But when you're seeing something out there lumbering the way it moves at what was it moving at? It was like 17 miles an hour or something. That's like that. That seems to give you enough time that to 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 say what can we do with this thing? You can always you know get people on a ship and get out there and scream at it. Hey, get out of here! Hey, what are you trying to do? Get out of here! Scram! You know, hit it with a stick or something. I don't so, you know I hear that if you hit a hurricane on the nose then it'll go, just go away. I think that's I, that's what I hear is you just you just pop it on the nose and it won't bite you. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's a shark. No, but again, just pondering it. If you have any answers out there, I'm more than happy to hear them, but just throwing it out there that in the back of my mind, maybe in the back of yours except maybe you just didn't feel like publicly saying it. But I have no shame. I believe that we could do something to stop a hurricane. We have the possibility. We have the technology. We have the whatever it happens to be. It's just some big giant fan. I don't know. Something that could stop this thing. Because I, because when people are standing, it's just, let's put it this way. To me, it's weird to be sitting there waiting for something to just destroy you and just become a major disaster like you know something is going to be a disaster five days ahead your instincts tell you that you wish or you there should be some way for you to avoid it I mean there are very few things in life that when we know they're going to destroy us or kill us or what have you that we don't begin to act and and take Take measure, but here we are, uh, uh, a highly developed society with highly developed technology, still sitting there listening to weather guys say, "Hey, this scares even me. You better get out, or and and you're not going to have power for several weeks and all that kind of thing." Uh, It also, but at the very least, I wonder too, if we can't stop a storm, if you can't figure out a way to 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 get in on it and do something or, uh, you know, Mama K says maybe you seed it so it rains before landfall, like so it dissipates. I don't know. I just know there's possibly technology out there. The other question is, all right, so how come we don't have, why is it that the Carolinas would be out of power for multiple, multiple weeks? I'm talking about through Christmas even for that matter or maybe even through the new year. Why is it that are we have a power grid or a structure that is unable to be put back up in a 
in a short period of time. And again, people do some really good stuff and there are many big brains out there and I, I get it, I understand it. But how come, in the, at least if we can't stop a hurricane from coming here, and, and I think we definitely should consider it, if we can't uh, stop a hurricane from coming here, can we at least put together an infrastructure or a grid that will allow us to recover faster from it? And it's very interesting to talk about the power grid. So, so when, with, when they know, they say, well, we're going to be without power for a couple of months. It's like, well, why? Uh, that doesn't sound right. That we, that, that we, as the United States of America, as a state, as a society, whatever, will be without power for that long in, in this world where we can push a button and pretty much do anything. And it goes to the element of the grid and everything else. And, and to me, what it also shows, if you, if you want to go a little bit deeper on this, what, to me what it also shows to a certain degree is that if we can be that admittedly vulnerable when it comes to our power grid and how we don't, you know, we, we're, we're, we're doing this, the hurricane comes and we'll be out power for, for a couple of months, the terrorists must know that that's one of our big vulnerabilities. They must know that if they really did what they need to do, they could get they could put us without power for uh, a long time. And and when you're without power and light and all kinds of things that make things go, you can do a lot of damage to people when they're that vulnerable. So to me, it just seems like uh, we need to figure that out. And and Stan's pointing out. The, there's a there's a possibility that they they should they should put the power lines underground. Yeah, they should. I mean, listen. Here's the deal. Whenever you whenever you talk about the power lines underground, uh, the Ameren and all the utilities all start raising hell and saying it's gonna it's gonna take too much. Uh, it's it's too much money. It's too much this. But these guys are making hand over fist. Dollars. I mean, they're, they're, they've got a lot of money, and to me, you could do that. The cable companies are doing it. They're, they're starting to put lines underground, and it, it's it's fiber optic cabling. And you know, it's it is kind of weird when we travel and drive along the roads. It still is kind of, if you really look at it, if you really look at it from a more of a macro level. And just take yourself out of it. Act like you maybe just landed here from a spaceship. If you really look at it and and you say, you know, that's kind of odd that these people power everything they do by stringing lines along poles. Or stringing lines from these gigantic towers. And they're just stringing lines. It's, it's, it's like... Uh, when they had the old, you know, telephone where you'd have a piece of string and somebody would have a cup over there in that room and in that house and somebody would have a cup over here, they'd talk to each other in a cup. It just seems really antiquated. And I realize here's here's a couple of arguments in favor of the whole power line thing and, and the whole power line deal. 
and then I'll move on because I have a lot, lot to talk about, including this Google deal. And uh, we've got Jeff Rorta coming on at 7.30 dealing with this uh, circuit attorney. This story kind of has gone away where she de- that, that basically refused to take uh, warrants from police. So we're going to talk about that and just about in general the uh, things that the police are up against. So Jeff Ward is going to join us and Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit. But, yeah, one of the benefits of having the power lines above ground is they're easier to repair. And so, you know, Ameren will tell you that the fact that they could just have a guy go out uh, to one area and climb up on a pole and fix it is is easier than having to dig into the ground. And, and I understand that, and that's that's why – it looks so archaic, uh, but even Sandy points out she's got a subdivision where uh, their lines are all buried in the ground, so they hardly ever lose power out there. And I think that's something we should consider. These are all like little things, but if we can't stop a hurricane from happening, then at some point I would imagine that we ought to be able to do things that make the recovery easier. And and sometimes it takes something like this to remind us, like, hey, it is kind of odd that we're stringing our power lines along poles and they're just sitting out there along the road, wave by wave, and maybe we maybe we should consider doing that. And I do believe that these companies – see, the cable co- – it's interesting. And, and, and – well, see, hold on. I don't want to get too rambly here. I'm sorry. But, but, but it's interesting that the cable companies, as you all point out, put their lines underground 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And yet it's taken the utilities like Amber and those guys forever to do such a thing. Now, I have to tell you that think about it for a second and wonder why the cable companies are doing it and the utility companies are not. Well, because when your cable goes out, how peed off do you get? And how many people have gone from one cable company to another cable company because the one cable company couldn't keep its cable on? And yet the other company did keep its cable on. So you go over. Well, I, I, you know, to to uh, AT and T instead of Charter, let's say, or you go over to Charter instead of AT and T because you're pissed off that your power, your your cable went out, and you understand now where where I'm going with this, right? Because when your power goes out, you don't have a choice. You, the utilities know that they have a monopoly on providing you power, so when when your power goes out, your lights go out, or whatever, you can call the Ameren UE all you want, and they're just like, ho-hum, here's a recording, we'll give you kind of a date. But when a cable company's cable goes out, they know they can lose customers. They know that they can that, that you can go someplace else. So what you get then in general, and this goes to my competition speech, from yesterday, what you get in general is an environment where competition creates excellence. Competition creates lower prices, but it also creates excellence. So when the cable companies don't put their cables underline and catch up with the other cable company, 
they wind up losing customers. When Ameren and UE doesn't bother putting power under, under the ground, they don't have to care at all. You could be without power for, for three months, and they don't have to lift a finger for you, and they're the only game in town. You just can't go to another company and get power. So that's maybe a good example of why competition can be good and how maybe even the whole system of how we provide power to our people and power to Americans is something that we should reconsider how that's done because apparently it's breeding a certain level of laziness and excuse-making when it comes to putting power lines underground. And I know it's expensive. It's an expensive endeavor, but what do you think the the, uh, the Ameren suffering? You think anybody over there who owns stock or has is in the upper echelon of Ameren really – really is suffering all that greatly? No, of course not. I'm not saying they should waste their money, but I am saying that they have the money. But competition actually winds up uh, providing excellence, and the cable company putting their cables underground story is a perfect example of that. And you know, and Bill says, yeah, backup generators are good too. Absolutely. But I'm just saying that watching our fellow Americans, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll seal it here before we get to our national anthem here, and then we'll, we'll move on. There's something uncomfortable about watching our fellow Americans and all of their property and all their lives just basically sitting ducks for an entire week. We can watch what's happening, what's about to happen to them. And instinctively, just as Americans, as human beings, we want to do something about that. We want to try to figure that out. Because right now we're just simply covering it like it's, well, here comes the hurricane. Oh, weather guy says, I'm scared to death. Even I'm scared to death. Everybody's saying, get out and everything else. But we're not wondering, huh, why is that thing allowed to get as close to the shore as it is anyway? Isn't there something we could do technologically to dissipate it? And is there something we can do to at least uh, soften the blow of the storm, which we're now accepting as a pure devastation and deaths and injuries and everything else. And we've been watching the thing coming for a week. There's just something instinctively that, that, that doesn't make any sense about all that, but we'll uh, follow up on this. The whole global warming debate is coming back in, which is, you know, we got another round of this people. So they're all blaming Trump for this and talking about deregulation. And then we get this bow tied idiot, Dr. Science, whatever the hell his name is out there on TV all over the place. That's the only time we ever see him is when we have a hurricane and usually it's him, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy out there with his bow tie on blathering on about how bad it is that we're uh, driving big cars. It's just, it's crazy. So we'll follow up on that. We've got some interesting things happening that aren't really political. We've got uh, this interesting story about Norm MacDonald who now has been, uh, had his appearance on NBC canceled because he joked around about the Me Too movement. And boy, that was quite a drastic reaction to some of the things he said. Now they're starting to basically uh, just kick people off of the off of guest shots on TV shows. You, I would think that if well, I won't go ahead and do the segment here now, but uh, but. I would think that it would be the perfect time to have Norm MacDonald on to talk about what he said and talk about this stuff instead of uh, instead of just 
keeping him off NBC. I, I think if, of anything, I would I would want to have him on and and talk to him about what his comments were instead of just keep him off the air. It'd be the perfect time to talk about him. You'd think that everybody would want to interview him now, but no, NBC. And then we had this uh, controversy that kind of went by the wayside regarding this uh, Serena Williams cartoon that somebody did. And they made her out to be this crybaby and everything else. Well, now they're being told that that whole thing is racist, which is completely ridiculous. And thank goodness this paper decided to go ahead and double down on it and say, you know what? Screw you. This is a political cartoon. It's completely satire, and this is the way it's going to be. And so they doubled down on it and even made other people uh, look similar. So uh, good for them. We do have at least some people out there who ha- have some guts uh, in the media or at least in, in the mainstream. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early what so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet here from the Discovery Design Studios, DiscoveryDesignInc.com, folks. Don't know whether you were able to uh, hear the segment with, with Michael Proctor yesterday. Proctor spelled like doctor, ProctorDrapery.com. He did send me the pictures of his mobile design unit. I'm going to put up a post a little later on. I didn't have much time yesterday, so going to put it up today. Some nice visuals of my home in there, too, so I'll do that a little later on. But Michael Proctor, for all of your window treatment needs and nicely priced, he drives right up to your doorstep. 
He's got all of the fine materials you need for your home, your office. I suggested putting curtains on the Jeep. I don't know. He's got these woven wood shades. He's got all the most modern type of accoutrements you can you can require and you can need. And the fabrics, sometimes you'll not even, you wouldn't even know they would exist, ladies and gentlemen, but Michael has them. So he's your interior designer. He's your installer. He's a good guy, and he's also a huge supporter of Radio Free Almond. So I hope you can make sure that when it comes to your window treatment needs, you can go ahead and, uh, oh, did they take me off for that? They kicked me off for that one? Oh, man. You got to be kidding me. I mean, I, 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 I didn't even, was it just too loud or? Uh, I did. What's that? Yeah, I know. I, I just, I, I don't. Um, hey, by the way, how do I? Uh, let me just see here real quickly. I'll, I'll, this is crazy. How do I spell Bernie Sisters, by the way? Uh, B-U-R-N-E-Y. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and, and play. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play them for while we get back set up here. Okay. And then I won't get kicked off either. Right. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break here, uh, play the Bernie Sisters, and then we'll be back on the stream and everything else, okay? You guys can listen to them, okay? These are Missouri teenagers, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to love them. It's Friday, Snippets. But tonight we're playing at the Rocheport General Store at 8.30. We would love to see you guys out there. Today is a lot nicer than yesterday. At least it's not raining, guys. It's true. It was so cold yesterday. It was it's pretty cold today, but at least it's at least the looks like the, at least the roads aren't like icy. Yeah. yeah, at least the sun is out. But this is Olivia's newest original, and it's called Happier. Remember when I didn't wait for you to call? Remember when I didn't think of you at all?
All right, we back up now. Yeah. So I, I decided to go ahead and and uh, anyway, now now we're back up. Okay, good. All right, so hey Zach, can you come in here a second, buddy? Zach is with Gaslight, and man, dude, I, I wanted to ask you, is, is that mic on and everything? Uh, oh, good, cool. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the Bernie sisters, because, because a, lot, a lot of people even are hearing them for the first time uh, now, but the Bernie sisters are part of the Gaslight label, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and Zach, how old are they? 10 and 13 years old. Did you guys hear that? They're 10 and 13 years old, and this is the very beginning of what's going to be a like a this is a gigantic career for these yes kids. yeah i mean they had a huge weekend last weekend with uh i mean obviously we had the Lufest cancellation but they picked up some really big name shows after that a lot of blogs picked them up i mean these girls are incredibly talented incredibly professional and definitely on the fast track to uh some really big things. Well, and and Zach, by the way, uh, in, in case you didn't know, now I, I and I and pardon me for uh, getting uh, ahead of myself here, but uh, you discovered them. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, <laughs> I was playing a show in Columbia, Missouri, uh, filling in on drums for a friend's band, and uh, I was outside before the show started, and I heard these girls warming up, and just immediately stormed in there and was like, "Who are these girls? What is this?" Because you notice in that first one, if you heard, they said they were playing at the Rocheport General Store. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, was, that was a long time ago, right? Uh, uh, I mean, and they still do a lot of, uh, you know, farmer's markets and stuff like that around Columbia just, to, you know, to keep up appearances and stuff. But, I mean, they also are hopping on some really big name shows. They've got Roots and Blues Festival coming up in a couple of weeks that they'll be uh, performing at. And, and where's that going to be? Uh, you know, here honestly, in town, is it going to be in St. Louis? I believe so. Okay, it's it's in the metro area. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, so this is cool. So I, it gave me time to be able to play. The, one of the things, like Facebook, won't kick me off for playing the Bernie Sisters. Right. Well, so we have the copyright. So. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, they have the copyright here at Gaslight. So they they kick me off because I I played Tom Jones. Like really, of all things, well, how can you, you know? <laughs> come on, people. I mean, I've gotten away with so much, but they still did that. But these girls are are amazing, and and the other amazing thing about them apparently is that their parents do not play musical instruments. No. Nope. It's just raw, natural <laughs> talent. And they're homeschooled, correct? Yeah. Nice. See, there you yeah. go. People who poo-poo homeschooling, it's the best thing going, really, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, but but th- their their harmonies and everything else is just amazing. Yeah. Even the lyrics seem so uh, sophisticated and refined at this point. You know, yeah. They've got lines where I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do you know this much about love and life and and all of it yeah because this is a cover of over the rainbow as you all know but for the most part their songs uh are are original yeah and they write them and and, and that's just is really super amazing i just am so impressed with them and and uh thanks for turning us on to them but i'll play more of them if you guys like them 
If you go to Gaslight's website, though, right? Yeah, uh, gaslightstl.com. Uh, there's okay. links all over there, or if you just go to the Facebook page, we've been posting about them nonstop lately. So yeah. We're, we're really excited. Good for you, man. Well, thank you. That's Zach, who's filling in for Matt, by the way, and has done a great job with so that we don't miss a beat here with the uh, with the Almond uh, show and Radio Free Almond. So thanks a ton for that. But the Bernie sisters, yeah, they, they grew up uh, in... Columbia, right? Correct. Columbia, Missouri, right? And and they and their parents never played instruments or anything. And there they are. They're playing the ukulele and the guitar and everything else, and writing their own songs. And it's like, wow, this is really amazing. Maybe someday I'll I'll have them uh, have them on the show. I don't I don't know. We'll 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 do that. But they're, they're called the Bernie Sisters, B U R N E Y. And you can uh, check it out there uh, on on the Gaslight. Uh, on the Gaslight website because they, they got a ton of videos up there of of, of the ladies and uh, they do uh, they do really a good job. It's very impressive. Ten and thirteen, so it's pretty pretty amazing. All right, so we are uh, back up and 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 ready to rock. And uh, quickly back to the the hurricane issue, really quickly. I was just saying early that there's something we can do. I think to make it easier for our brothers and sisters to recover from these hurricanes. And one of them might be to just simply reassess the power grid. And there, there, there should be no reason why Americans are without power for any length of time. It just – I'm sorry. That just seems to me to be completely unacceptable. And they should not be uh, without power for any length of time. I realize there are storms and natural disasters. I get it. But we should be able to be in a mode where we can be immune to some of the scourges of uh, these terrible storms. And if we can't stop them, uh, of course, you know, tell you the truth, that's what I was talking about before we got cut off, is I do think that we should come up with some way to stop a hurricane. I'm just telling you. I'm just going to lay it out there. You know, you can call me stupid, naive, whatever, but just there's something not right about watching for five days this thing that we know is going to destroy people's lives and maybe even kill people. I just don't see how there's no other walk of life where we would look at something for a week before it kills us without doing anything about it. I just there's there's no other aspect of life where that happens. Even with something which is a like a terrible disease, at least we try and keep the disease away. So there's something not right about watching this thing on a map and watching people talk about how it's going to kill everybody and destroy everything, watching this thing on a map for five friggin' days, and then just we wait until it comes and, and hits us. Maybe it's the one, on the other hand, if you want to be metaphysical about it, maybe it's the one thing that keeps us all humble. Maybe it's the one, I'll, I'll just, okay, I'll, I'll take the side of the hurricane here, okay? Because the hurricane needs a defense, I guess, at some point. Maybe it is something, storms like this and natural disasters and things like this, maybe that is a way to keep us humble and to make us realize that we do not uh, control everything and that we uh, are not as powerful as maybe we believe and maybe it makes us a little stronger constitutionally in our hearts to know that 
anything could possibly befall us and we would have to recover and fight back and and deal with it. So I'll deal I'll talk about that one. I'll take it from a metaphysical standpoint because on a practical standpoint, I want that hurricane to dissolve. And you better come up with some kind of missile or some kind of gun or some kind of spray or maybe you could play uh you could play a uh, bad band and just blare the music and maybe that'll turn the turn the hurricane away or something but you ought to be able to stop that damn thing get a boat out there and shoot it do something gigantic fan a fan from outer space you know if we could we could put a shield up we could put a gigantic fan from outer space and blow the thing away or maybe on the metaphysical side we need things like this to show us humility and to show us how we are simply uh, particles of atoms that are just existing by the grace of God and or wh- whatever you believe in, but by the grace of nature, what have you. And maybe it's good that we uh, always stand the possibility of being wiped out by nature's fury, keeps us humble, keeps us loving, because if we could, we could just avoid all threats and avoid everything, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, perhaps uh, covet life the way we should. We wouldn't perhaps uh, think about our loved ones the way we should. We, 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 we maybe would take for granted everything if we were able to remove all of our threats. So I've explained to you the prosecution's case in getting rid of the hurricane and I've also explained to you the defense case in keeping the hurricane. That's all. Uh, I, I, so I've, I've given you both sides of the argument. I've given you the side of my, you know, reptile brain and the side of the metaphysical. That's all. And, and, and there. You just lay it out there and, and that's, uh, that's, that's true. Father Tom brings in this idea that everyone is a pilgrim passing through this life. Yes, indeed. It's true. Oh, you want me to? You want me to get me started? Do you? Is that what you want me to do? Is that what you're doing? You're luring me into another little speech. I'll try to be a very quick about this. To Father Tom's point, I don't know whether Father Tom, you are a fan of a poet, and the poet happens to be a young man who died when he was all of uh, all of. 25 years old. His name was John Keats, and he died of tuberculosis at the age of 25. He was uh, a beautiful poet and was uh, part of a generation of what was called uh, romantic poets. And uh, he was a person who uh, he lived. I, I saw his home, actually, when I was in Rome. Uh, and he lived in Rome, and actually he and uh, Percy by, by Shelley ha- had a home together. Anyway, uh, Keats is 25 years old. Uh, John Keats uh, was uh, an amazing poet, but also an amazing person. And one of the reasons why John Keats got tuberculosis and wound up dying is because he had spent time 
helping his brother who was similarly consumed by a disease. Back in those days, my goodness gracious, this was uh, the early 1820s. Uh, it was a crazy time uh, in, in our lives. Uh, people died all of the time. And, and, and at young ages, and, and, and they used to call it consumption, we die of consumption. And that was tuberculosis and other things. So John Keats very well contracted tuberculosis because he was caring for his brother who was similarly, who was similarly consumed by disease. And also his mother. John Keats took care of his mother as well. So John Keats, and, and during that time, people had a very interesting view of life. I'll give you a quick example of this, and then I'll move on. Although I know that you guys, did, I know that Radio Free Allman is, I'm supposed to cover like the, hurricane, the thing, hurricane, and all these other controversies, I realize it, but I really do love talking about this because it is important in the end. So uh, during that time, like for instance, my family on my mom's side uh, came here in the 1600s. They came over with William Penn. They were Mennonites. Uh, they farmed land in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And they also really, their idea of church and things like that oftentimes was uh, gathering in their living rooms and talking about the Bible. It was a very interesting way that they did. Some, they, they obviously did have the organized churches and those kinds of things, but for the most part, in the early days uh, of, of religion, a lot of the actual religious activity took place in people's homes, in their, in their, uh, in, in their living rooms. And, and like, for, for instance, my great-great-great-grandfather was uh, laid out in the living room. They didn't have a funeral parlor. He died. He was right there in the living room. So the... Uh, the uh, the situation with the uh, with the times is that is that my my family they would have eleven kids. Uh, they would have eleven, twelve kids, uh, knowing that most of them would probably die. Most of them wouldn't make it through their teenage years. They would have uh, ten kids, and they'd wind up actually ultimately with four. And, and that and that's how these folks rolled back back in the day. They uh, they knew that life was very short, uh, and they saw life being short every single day. And so uh, they they knew this. This was this was part of life. Death was part of life. If you can imagine having we we have you know two three kids four kids whatever. Uh, if you can imagine losing three quarters of them. And just that being acceptable way of of living, and just kind of how it all rolls, then um, then you'd realize that uh, you, you, it'd be it'd be pretty hard. I don't know whether we could we could take that. You take a having a child, and they go all the way through the age of ten or eleven, and they die. They they catch they get a disease and die. Uh, and and that's that you know get pneumonia, get whatever. Uh, tuberculosis, those kinds of things, and they and they died, and so death was a huge part of life for the people in the uh, eighteen early eighteen hundreds, and, and my family in particular, just in reading their history, and, and that happened. So back to John Keats, and back to Father Tom's discussion about that we are all pilgrims, and back to this idea that there might be a meta metaphysical reason why we can't or don't stop a hurricane. 
uh, because it, it teaches us about our, our humility and, our, uh, and, and, and about, as Father Tom points out, us being just pilgrims passing through. But nobody <clears throat> understood that more than a guy like John Keats, the poet, who happened to be um, the favorite poet of someone who I am working on a project about, which would be Sarah Teasdale. And I'll tell you about that in a while. But anyway, she was uh, she loved John Keats poetry, in fact, visited his grave there in uh, in Rome. And if you look at John Keats's, so he died at 25, quite possibly only because he was helping his brother who was dying of consumption. And John Keats wound up getting it too. Also helped his mother who was dying of consumption. So everybody was dying around him. And there was John Keats, this beautifully accompanied writer and, 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 uh, and just, just his poetry is just unbelievable. But if you look at uh, Sarah Teasdale's poetry, it's unbelievable too. And, and that's where it came from. So, they had they uh, so uh, on John Keats's uh, gravestone, uh, which was uh, interesting. So what what Sarah Teasdale saw and what Father Tom it will be uh, reiterated by Father Tom. What there's John Keats's tombstone has no name on it. He doesn't have his name on the tombstone, and 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 that was purposeful. Uh, and, and was not surprising coming from a person who saw this all around around him. And, you know, he was, uh, and, 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 and it was, uh, here lies a man whose, whose name was writ in water. And so that was compelling because it, it reaches this idea that we are all kind of these uh, temporary inhabitants of this world world and that indeed our names are written in water because more water can come and wash it away and that's just kind of a part of life but it came from this life of death where you're surrounded by it all the time and that's just kind of how it all all rolled for him but uh, to Father Thomas point about us all being just pilgrims passing through that was reiterated by John Keats in on his uh on his tombstone where he just didn't even bother to put his name on there. That's how much, that's how humbled he was by uh, his circumstances. And it's curious too, because a lot of people might say, well, oh, well that just means he's, you know, mad at God because of, of all the things that God did and took people away and that kind of thing. No, uh, that wasn't the case at all. That, that in fact, um, many people during that period of time did not, uh, blame God. They didn't say God was being mean to them or anything else. Uh, their 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 faith, in fact, was uh, reinvigorated by all the perils that they went through and all that they went through. They didn't uh, they didn't detach themselves, but they also did also have more of a metaphysical type of approach to faith as well. And so uh, they they also believed that they were very much part of a natural cycle in nature. And that's actually where we came. That's why, you know, the early founding fathers, uh, you know, a lot of them were not even organized members of organized religion. They were deists and individuals like that. They weren't even... Uh, People who went to church every day—they were—they were—they were more believers in natural law and that kind of thing—and you can hardly blame them, considering how everything kind of seemed to play out in one little little place there. But keep in mind too 
that as much as during that period of time people were a product of their environment, we are too. And so if uh, you want to put it in a different way, we've come up with all kinds of inventions and all kinds of things that have preserved our lives and allowed us to enjoy life and and be part of uh, the process more and live the life longer that we were born into. And so that's a good thing, too. I don't I, I would not want to go back to the days of the early 1820s. Believe me, this was it was a terrible time. It was hard to live. Winter would come and you'd lose half your family. It's like, OK, this isn't fun. So what happened is, though, people were driven then at that point to improve upon their lot. They were driven to uh, to invent uh, things like, uh, uh, well, uh, polio vaccines and things like that. And by the way, just in case you want to say Catholic, uh, uh, Catholic, Catholics are anti-science, I just want you to look up Galileo and, and uh, Jonas Salk or the people who I think I think it was the polio vaccine was Catholic too, just in case people talk about Catholics being anti-science and Christians and everything else. Uh, Christians actually, uh, if you look back on all the people who invented all these unbelievable medicines and technologies that allowed us to fight disease and fight things, were actually uh, Christians, just so you know. So now we're going to get into what you guys like to listen to too, and that is the political side of things because everybody is now – now suddenly – if you if you don't believe in man-made global warming uh, being a thing, as many scientists don't believe, then you are anti-science. But you're going to hear the anti-science thing a lot, especially in the aftermath of the hurricane. But anyway, sometimes bad situations can and, – and, and terrible situations can create uh, stronger people and can create innovation, innovation and creativity. And so uh, it's not beyond the realm of – possibility that we could get hit by yet another hurricane here and finally say, you know what? All right, over. Power lines underneath the ground, and we're going to come up with some gigantic uh, fan gun to shoot a hurricane and keep it from hitting the shore. It's not beyond the realm of comprehension. Human beings have come up with amazing things uh, to, uh, to to help them and improve their lives and and keep them living longer and everything else. Amazing things. And so uh, sometimes strife can create such things and, and, and can create really very compelling, great stories, great inventions and those kinds of things. So back to the hurricane. So you've heard both sides of the hurricane argument. And, uh, yeah, maybe it's part of life and it uh, keeps us humble and everything else. But, you know, I guarantee you, had the people back in the day had the choice as to whether or not half their families died of tuberculosis, they would say, well, you know what? We really would rather not go through this whole that's a part of life thing, if you don't mind. Can you come up with something that keeps us from getting tuberculosis? Because I guarantee you, they would want that. There's, there's, there, was, there was no family living at that time that thought it was groovy that half their kids died before they were 10 years old. Uh, so uh, that's why we have modern medicine. That's why we have all these things uh, that are important to us and, and, and keep keep us from living. And, 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 and you know what? That's part of the whole process, too. That's part of the human condition as well is, is fighting back against natural conditions. Happens all the time. It's, it's, it's how we have survived as a, as a species is, is by confronting 
things that uh, are going to harm us and hurt us and wipe us out. So believe me, back in the day, they didn't think this was, oh, great, let's go back to studying our Bible. No, they, they were not happy that their eight-year-old died. That's just the bottom. It was, it was a horrible experience. But it did create not only uh, more faithful, close-knit families, but it also created an environment where some of them grew up to invent medicines that kept it from happening again. That's just how it works. So at some point, maybe, and it's a long process, at some point we'll tire of spending a week knowing that at two or three states along and and hundreds of thousands of people are going to be devastated, their homes wiped out, and their power out for the next few months and unable to make a living and costing the government countless amounts of money, but also costing them countless amounts of strife. Some of them, you know, they go to school down there. There are schools down there, everything else. Their businesses are going to be ruined and the kids aren't going to school. It's going to be disruptive and everything else. So maybe at some point we all will tire of sitting there for a week watching a TV on TV, this thing approaching at 17 miles an hour and us not doing a damn thing about it except waiting and running. Maybe at some point we'll figure something out. I don't know. But but, but sometimes strife uh, compels people to be stronger and figure things out. It's not beyond the realm of comprehension. We could stop that damn hurricane. But anyway, the news media is not focusing on loftier things such as that. They're deciding that they're going to uh, simply... Go back to the old global warming argument again and decide that uh, they're going to get Bill Nye the science guy. They're going to have him dress up in his stupid little bow tie and his yellow suit and get on TV and lecture us about the fact that uh, we're terrible people and that we're causing Hurricane Florence. Uh, Even though they have no scientific evidence, at least in studying Hurricane Florence, it's only been around for about uh, two weeks as a as a depression, probably originally, and and ha- they haven't even explored all that, and so you know I uh, it, it, I have to tell you it's 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 ridiculous the the ways we go. They're they're blaming Washington Post is blaming Donald Trump for Hurricane Florence now, and all and, and the rollback of uh, EPA. It's all baloney. They have no f- basis in fact to say that, but they say it anyway. Just because of some of the rollbacks of EPA regulations that, by the way, to my knowledge, if you go through Barack Obama's term, hey, I didn't have any hurricanes while I was president. Hey, look at me. When, 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 is, when is Barack Obama going to go out there and get his uh, another ethical, uh, another ethics award? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be tomorrow? What, what campus is he going to be lecturing on Friday? I didn't have, all the things I did, I didn't have any hurricanes at all. It's like, that's a lie. Of course. The AP, by the way, fact-checked Barack Obama on all his economic claims and everything else and said he was uh, full of crap. I didn't have any. But, but, but lo and behold, you know, they didn't have any hurricanes when Barack Obama, our first black president, was president. They didn't have any, no, no bad weather at all. It's like, oh, yeah? Look through the eight years of uh, Barack Obama's term and tell me we didn't have any. Her, uh, Sandy, 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 yeah, come on. So, so it, it just goes to show you that uh, Obama and all his I'll give $100 million to Solyndra so it can fail deal policy, uh, all of his, all of his uh, you know, 
his his stealing cash from the treasury to help out his campaign supporters who have these weird ideas about windmills or whatever and can't go to market with them, like Solyndra, keep in mind, uh, the solar power deal, remember that? Those are buddies of his who got gobs and gobs of free money so they could keep us from getting hurricanes, right? Yeah, whatever. So we still had him. But anyway, we'll see whether or not Obama comes out and uh, talks about his uh, clean hurricane record. Sure, buddy. Anyway, so the media is going nuts about this whole thing, and they decide they're going to make a big, big deal out of it. This is MSNBC. This is Katie Tour. And this is yesterday. And you know how these things roll, right? Yeah, here we go. Says FEMA is ready for Hurricane Florence, but mounting evidence suggests it could be incredibly difficult to deal with this disaster if climate change deniers are on the front lines of emergency response. Previous. Oh, okay. Really? Research showing climate change as the cause of warmer ocean conditions that produce fast, intensifying storms. But where does the Trump administration stand on climate change? Well, just yesterday. You notice how you notice how they in this Orwellian time they have decided that they're not going to call it uh, global warming anymore. And the reason why they don't call it global warming anymore is because. Suddenly what happened is we started having really bad winters right about the time they started talking about global warming. And we'd have like six feet of snow someplace in March. And suddenly all the, all the people were, who were the uh, man-made global warming people uh, decided that they were going to uh, talk about how, oh, I see, uh, that's right, the, the whole – uh, man-made gl- uh, global warming thing, we need to change that into, well, you know, that's climate change. Th- th- that is, we're going to call it climate change. It's much the same way they called it uh, uh, gun safety legislation, right? When, when suddenly the gun control moniker became a little uncomfortable for them. Remember those days? Yeah, that w- those were back in the days when uh, w- when when they said we got to change our language so we don't give ourselves away, and that's where we're getting this whole thing about <laughs> about how now it's uh, now it's all about uh, oh yeah, this is real. It's really about uh, global warming, not man made uh, man made climate change, not global warming. So that's how they changed the language there, just so you know. Anyway, this is um, this is the story yesterday. These, these are people, by the way. Less concerned about the fate of North Carolinians, uh, Carolinians, and Virginians, and other people possibly up the coast. Now I think Georgia is uh, has some issues too. They've got uh, Camp Lejeune, which is uh, uh, which is completely evacuated, except for the people who have to be there. So uh, Camp Lejeune and all the uh, Marine families, uh, all the kids have packed up and gone. So Georgia is quite possibly going to be affected too. Anyway. No concern about these guys. No concern about this whatsoever. They've decided they're going to make this all about President Trump. I told you yesterday, for the next three days, they're going to be trolling Trump and utilizing this. And there could be some some baby out in the middle of a flooded canal screaming for help, and they'll still be covering whether or not President Trump 
set called it a big wet storm or whether or not he did this or whether or not he did that. Just just let you know. Here you go. Trump rolled back Obama era mandates. These rules were all part of Obama's three part strategy for combating climate change. Right. But but did Obama in eight years do anything to combat climate change? Has anything really changed at all? The answer is no. Nothing has changed. We still have gigantic hurricanes, by the way. You know, the ones that, uh, that, that the left wing's personal Jesus was supposed to prevent from happening. We still have just as much bad weather, just as many storms, just as much rain, just as much snow, just as many hurricanes. We've got, a, we've got basically, this is only one of, I think, three they're watching out there right now. Yeah. I look forward, of course, to all the hate tweets. It's going to be great about how a guy who took a lot of physics can't possibly read a graph. I got all that. But everybody, this is not in anybody's best interest to continue to deny climate change. Donald Trump and other Republicans who are denying climate change are on the wrong side of public safety, of economics, and of history. Unfortunately, we're going to see more and more of these extreme, costly, uh, and, and threatening to public health and safety events until we begin to reduce our emissions. We've had these happening over and over again. And when President Obama did, without any legislation at all, I mean, the, the, uh, Obama didn't even go through Congress for many of the changes he made to our pollution laws and those kinds of things. He didn't even, he didn't even go through Congress. That, that's how, how much of an emergency he felt it was to try uh, and, and reduce uh, whatever he thought was the man-made threat. But the bottom line is he did uh, – none of what he did changed a thing except for the businesses that had to deal with it, except for the businesses that sometimes even went down the tubes trying to meet these unbelievably overdrawn environmental regulations that came through Obama's pen and his phone. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty – these guys are still babbling on about all the stuff that Obama did, and none of it changed a thing. But we still have to put up with uh, with Bill Nye, the science guy. Now, now actually, he's a little more bitter because he's, you know, he's now he's now so defensive. He's talking about his uh, the people sending him emails and telling him he's you know not smart and all this kind of stuff. The fact of the matter is, uh, the idea of man made influence on our environment is not has not been adjudicated. It is not been. There's no verdict on it right now, and I don't have any doubt that man does influence the environment to a certain degree, but to how much, we don't know. If you go through history, you look at these natural increases in the temperature of the, uh, uh, of the, of the earth, uh, it has been part of a natural process for ages. I mean, you go back into hell, I mean... You guys remember the days, and you could still see the pictures when St. Louis, you know, people were sleeping in the parks. It was so damn hot. My favorite time is when the weather people all talk about these uh, record-breaking temperatures, like record-breaking highs or record-breaking lows. And the reason why it's so funny is they go, uh, boy, the last time that it was this hot was in 1923. It's like, yeah, you mean when there weren't many cars or even airplanes around? Yeah, right. 
Boy, the last time we had this much snow was in 1903. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I was... I always laugh at that because it's just it just proves the point about uh, about climate change and everything else. Now, I do think we should do everything possible to reduce our imprint that we 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 shouldn't just go hog wild. I'm not a person who believes that we uh should uh, dirty up our air or dirty up our water or whatever else, but at some point ladies and gentlemen, uh, we got to kind of accept uh, certain changes in our climate that happen just as a just because not because of Donald Trump not not because of Obama not because of your SUV but just because it's been a fact of our climate life for ages upon ages even before we were here people even before we were here just telling you We are live here in the Discovery Design Studios. DiscoveryDesignInc.com. And thank you to Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. 855-QUOTE-ME is the number for your lowest premiums and lowest deductibles you're going to find all at the same time for your auto and home. Just signed up with a life insurance policy with him as well. So he's an amazing guy. Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency 855. Quote me. Hope you guys are all planning, too, to come to Santino Cigars and Cocktails right there on Vogel Road off of 55 and Arnold. That's the 27th for the Radio Free Almond Happy Hour. The County Browns are going to be there barbecuing. $10 a plate for copious amounts of barbecue and sides. And the proceeds are going to go to help backstoppers, to support backstoppers. So it's a Radio Free Almond happy hour and a fundraiser for backstoppers. So it's very cool. Jeff Warner is going to be joining me just about uh, 7.30 or so. We're going to talk about the situation in St. Louis uh, City with the prosecuting attorney. Uh, Father Tom, I think it's going to be about 5.30. I think that's what we're going to... I think that's going to be the uh, the time. I'm pretty sure five thirty five. I think five. I don't know. I gotta I gotta find out what time we're going to do that. I'll let you guys know. But yeah, thanks uh, a ton for all, uh, for all your help and all your support, Santinos and Matthew Mitchell and my guys at the Discovery Design Studios. But yeah, I got a couple of interesting stories on the line. Jeff Ward is going to be with us regarding uh, this. Kim Gardner situation. It's unbelievable. You talk about privilege. Man, does she have it. Wow. And also, by the way, there's another statue controversy. This time it involves Native Americans. That's in uh, San Francisco. And also a cartoon controversy regarding Serena Williams. And also, folks, a controversy involving Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald is a funny guy, actually. I tell you the truth. I've always thought he was pretty funny. But apparently some comments that he made about the Me Too movement now got him kicked off, blacklisted in Hollywood, and he was disinvited on The Tonight Show. They told him he's no longer welcome on The Tonight Show.
So I'm going I'm to talk about that in just a few here. And don't forget, folks, about Golden Oak Lending. Thank you, Golden Oak, for your support of this show. You guys are awesome, and uh, I really appreciate you. Fact check it out, people. Do you have credit card debt? Golden Oak Lending has the expertise to show you how to refinance your home and turn its increased value into cash, and you pay nothing out of pocket. People often tell me they didn't call sooner because they didn't think we could save them money. This is James Hawkins from Golden Oak Lending. With our expertise in today's increased home values, we can usually save you money. Call 314-567-GOLD. NMLS 1149-37-111 Westport Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Call 567-GOLD. 567-GOLD, people. That's right. Thank you, Ben Turk, for the. That's the voice of Ben Turk and James Hawkins. James Hawkins from Golden Oak. So yeah, we have uh, the situation with uh, Norm Macdonald, and he—he he, was pretty funny. He was—he uh, was on Saturday Night Live for a little while, and I do remember one time on JC's show when I was on with him. Norm Macdonald came in, and. They were all claiming that that Norm McDonald smelled. I, I remember that. He, I don't know. Who knows? But I always thought he was pretty funny. And so now he's very controversial. So he made some comments to a group called The Hollywood Reporter. And The Hollywood Reporter just, you know, they're like uh, variety. They just do a lot of entertainment stuff. And so here is uh, Norm McDonald. And he defended Roseanne and also defended Louis C.K. Louis C.K. is a friend of his. Roseanne is, too. So he's interviewed by the Hollywood Reporter. And here's, here's just a little snippet of what he, what he had to say here. Let me just get him queued up here. Oh, hold on. I've got a little. Oh, I, you know what? It's not a gun commercial, which is very disappointing. Normally, when Breitbart has something, they have a gun commercial before. This is just a car commercial. Oh, well. Let her rip, Norm Macdonald. And and, 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 and and wait till you hear what the result of is of, of what he had to say. I think that uh, we have to be more forgiving of uh, people. I've spoken to Roseanne many times, and uh, she's always been in tears, and um, she's paying a mighty penance for, uh, for whatever transgression you might think she did. So... That's Norm Macdonald just simply making a statement about Roseanne and how he believes that the so-called uh, punishment doesn't meet the uh, fit the crime type of thing. And he said that Roseanne shouldn't have uh, been uh, taken off the air. They shouldn't have canceled her show. And so he is uh, said, you know, I think I think we jumped the gun on this. I think we we go way too far on these matters. I think this is a weird environment we're in. And then he was asked also about Louis C.K. And Louis C.K., as you know, was accused and even admitted to some, you know, weird stuff. I don't know what, what's up with these guys, but they, you know, do whatever they do in front of women. And, and it's just and he definitely admitted doing it, but then came back a year later. And there were people criticizing the fact that he came back a year later 
And, and Norm MacDonald made some reference to these couple of women who were offended when he just popped out of nowhere at a show somewhere, and they were offended. He goes, well, they should give them their money back and another 200 bucks. Hell, I mean, that'll probably keep him for a while. I mean, he was, he was, he's a comedian, right? He's a flip guy. That's who Norm MacDonald is. So how does NBC respond to this? NBC and The Tonight Show decide they're not going to invite Norm MacDonald on the program anymore. They're, they're going to disinvite him and indeed cancel his appearance on The Tonight Show. Now, when you look at it, I'm sure most people on the left are like, yeah, for sure. That sounds like a good thing. I mean, he made these terrible comments and shame on him for defending Roseanne, who's this racist, and shame on him for you know, offering some degree of redemption for Louis C.K., Forget about all this kind of stuff. You know, he, he's he's a terrible person, and uh, and and and, uh, and so good for, good for the Tonight Show. But most of us are thinking if you're if you're thinking like a normal person who might have a show, or who might be the producer of the Tonight Show, or even the host of the Tonight Show, you'd think that Norm Macdonald at that point, after saying all that would be the perfect guest. Am I right or am I wrong about that? You you would want to have the Tonight Show have Norm MacDonald on and have him talk about that. Yeah, you know, how is it possible that you can you can get you can just simply cancel out a potential voice that you could have on and actually discuss what he said. You might actually get it more out of him. You might have a little more context out of him. You might have him, you know, uh, say something like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't agree with what Roseanne said, but I don't think she, her show should have been canceled. And, you know, and then, then uh, the host, what's his name again? Jimmy Fallon. Is it Jimmy Fallon? I don't go near that that area anyway. It's Jimmy Fallon. I don't. I don't go near that. That I can't watch those shows. I just. I'm not going to sit there and give my time to people who slip in cracks about our president and and other left wing kookery. I just don't, don't. I can't put up with it. But anyway, uh, Jimmy Fallon would say, "Well, wait a minute. Explain yourself." And they'd get into maybe a little argument, and maybe get into a little debate or something. So I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, Laura Liz points out Don Rickles. Boy, I know he could never have a career right now. I mean, you know, wasn't it? I don't know whether you guys have ever seen the Dean Martin roasts, where they had Don Rickles and Nipsey Russell and Dean Martin and all these guys up there, George Burns and sometimes Jackie Gleason, uh, the Phyllis Diller, these people on there. They'd get up there, and they would haze the holy hell out of each other. I mean, and they, these were good shows. I mean, the, the Dean Martin roasts were just unbelievable. They were a ton of fun to watch. But they were pretty racy sometimes. They were pretty crazy, I got to tell you. Uh, but, boy, they were fun to watch. And, and and they would they would make all kinds of racial jokes, sexist jokes, all kinds of stuff. But it was kind of like the way things were back in the day. 
Nipsey Russell didn't decide, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm leaving. No, he'd go up there and, and haze Don Rickles back. I mean, those were the days. But but I'm, I'm just saying that it just seems like it's completely antithetical to even having a show like The Tonight Show to have somebody say co- something controversial and then then disinvite the guy when actually he'd be the perfect guest because of what he said. But then I'm thinking, oh, I get you. Okay, I see. It's not that NBC was offended necessarily by what he said. Hi, Diane. Thanks for getting on with us. It's not that NBC was upset with what he said. They didn't want him to say it again on The Tonight Show. That that's that's my theory is it wasn't about being offended by Norm Macdonald. It was about making sure that Norm Macdonald wasn't able to say that publicly again because they didn't like it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear that maybe Roseanne's Roseanne Barr's show shouldn't have been canceled. They didn't want to hear that maybe it's okay for Louis C.K. to come back after a year of being out. And, of course, Louis C.K. is, is no friend of you – know, he's, he's a liberal. He's a – you know, whatever. But I think he's funny. I'd love that. I'd, I'd see Louis C.K. in a second. But, you know, uh, but, but, but again, they didn't want to hear that on The Tonight Show. Keep in mind, too, though, this is what happens when you are – living in a glass house and your glass house has been broken. This is the problem when NBC itself has this unbelievably hot scandal going on still with the whole sexual assault thing and the, uh, and the Me Too movement and the harassment charges, not only against Matt Lauer, but against the entire echelon of N- NBC. That's why they're doing this because, A, they don't want to hear that Roseanne Barr's show should have canceled and that Louis C.K. should come back. But they're also having to make a decision based on a guest, based on their own guilt, which is, again, a, a terrible thing. But it's based on their own guilty conscience because they themselves have been accused of similar things and hiding people like Louis C.K. or hiding sexual harassment or not being uh, – enough of part of the Me Too movement and, in fact, covering up for abusers. And so that dictates everything about how they're approaching uh, their own guests now, which is pretty crazy. So now you have a, a corrupt organization like NBC acting as if it has to make some kind of statement corporately uh, when otherwise Norm Macdonald as a practical matter, would be an outstanding guest, especially after the comments he made. But no, these days, you got to make sure that you keep it all buried and you keep your head under the water. And that's what they're doing with Norm. And Norm is just a victim of NBC victimizing its employees. That's what he's a victim of. He's not a victim of what he said. What he said isn't really all that controversial at all. It just simply isn't. And and he would be a great guest, but now you have NBC. And then you see what's happening over at CBS with Les Moonves being booted out. They just uh, got rid of the the 
executive producer of 60 Minutes over there. And they got rid of him, interestingly enough, because he – not because he decided he was going to uh, – he was groping people and he had all these kinds of accusations against him, but because he actually wrote a uh, an email to a reporter who was asking after some of the uh, – some of the <laughs> – uh, charges against him, and he, and he and he sent her back an email saying, "Hey, listen, uh, you better watch out. Uh, they're I, I, I've had people fired for misrepresenting me, and I can I can I can affect your career. And so uh, that that was a pretty egregious violation of CBS's standards, and so." that's where you're going to get this situation where, you know, he's getting canned. But still, he was under investigation already for these uh, sexual assault uh, allegations and uh, other other things. So uh, these people at CBS were trying to cover up for themselves. So really, unfortunately, Norm MacDonald is the, uh, is the victim of the fact that, well, NBC has been victimizing people for a long time, apparently, by not paying attention to their complaints about bad actors who have been uh, hurting them and who have been uh, harming them. All right, on to San Francisco, and we have a new statue controversy. And this one is about a statue regarding Native American people. So this uh, board there, the San Francisco Board of Appeals, uh, decided they were going to uh, remove a 19th century statue that some say is racist and demeaning to Native Americans. Now, uh, it's it's called the Early Days statue, and it is a Native American sculpture at the feet of a Spanish cowboy and a Catholic missionary. And it's near City Hall, uh, and it is part of the commemoration of the founding of California. And so Native American activists have wanted the statue removed for decades, and people generally didn't, didn't listen at, to them. And so in April, they decided, this Board of Appeals decided they were going to overturn uh, a decision by the city's Arts Commission to remove the sculpture. Uh, And there was an appeals board member who called the statue horrible, uh, but said removing it from public view would squash free speech. And the issue here is actually... Yeah, the statue maybe is horrible, depicting a time when Native Americans in this country or in that area were oppressed, and and, and that and that is true. That I don't, I do not believe that the United States' treatment of Native Americans is anything to be proud of. I mean, there are a lot of bad things done to Native Americans. I don't think that there's any question about that. And I think that when you look at that statue, if anything, it reminds us of some of the bad things that we were involved in, in founding certain areas of this country and founding our cities and our states and indeed our country. 
So you have a Spanish cowboy and a Catholic missionary, and this Native American is is at his feet. Now, that is called early days, right? The statue itself. To me, even though it's obviously a it's a 19th century statue, so it's it's back in the day when certainly people still didn't have this perspective that the United States had abused many Native American tribes and that kind of stuff. But it still is a depiction, and you can look at that and actually see it as an indictment of some of the people who founded that area, including the Catholic missionary and the and the Spanish cowboy. It's not a positive depiction of of the Catholic missionary and the Spanish cowboy, but it is a depiction of them ultimately defeating the onslaught of Native Americans who uh, were not uh, – oh, they were not really pro-immigration. Let's put it that way. And that's true, but that's not a bad thing. Native Americans were very uh, covetous and protective of their lands, and you can hardly blame them. And other people who came here from other lands wanted to live here, and you could hardly blame them. So they went to war a lot, and that's kind of what happened. And there were a lot of bad things done to Native Americans. There were a lot of uh, uh, bad things done to settlers. It was, it was, it was hell to pay back, back in those days trying to run around around Native Americans. And Native Americans found it hell to pay to run around around settlers who sometimes gave them diseases and things like that. Diseased a whole, you know, uh, tribe. Wiped them out because Bozo was sick. So, you know, it, it happened. And there was a lot of carnage, death, and destruction and that kind of thing. And I don't know why how this statue can be seen as offensive. Somebody called it horrible, right? Well, it kind of is. Uh, it's, it, it was not a good time in our country, and, and uh, our country was founded uh, sometimes on the blood of people who were here before us, uh, you know, areas of our country. And, and, and it's, it's unfortunate that there wasn't a time where we could actually live in harmony. Uh, and, and and so, yeah, I don't think that there's there's any pride in wiping out and putting Indians on Native Americans on reservations. I don't think that's something that we are all proud of. I don't I, I still don't. I still think that's a sad thing. But nonetheless, the bottom line is this is this statue depicts a part of our history where you had the Spanish cowboy, the Catholic missionary and the Native American who's laying down defeated. Well, they did. That's how it happened. I mean, I go back to the situation in, uh, in, in, for instance, Nashville, when I was doing some research on a project that ultimately I still will, will kick off. And I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get, uh, Jeff Ward on here with me in a second, but then I will kick off, uh, eventually when I, when I get done with this other project, I've got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of things going on, you know? Um, so the, Andrew Jackson and his uh, his wife Rachel Jackson, uh, Rachel Jackson, uh, her father, her name is uh, Rachel uh, Jackson Donaldson, uh, Rachel Donaldson Jackson, and and uh, she her family founded Nashville, uh, and and her dad was uh, a uh, 
member of the of the United States Army uh, military, and they ultimately lived on uh, on the uh, in in D.C. for a little while, and then went down to Tennessee and helped found Nashville. Well, you, when they tried to find found Nashville initially, the Native Americans ran them out of there. They ran the entirety of the, the Dallison family and everybody else who were in, in Tennessee at the time. They ran their asses out, killed a lot of them and everything else. And and, and so uh, Nashville, the this founding of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, had to wait a little while before they went back and, and, then, and, then, and then tried it again. But they were uh, – they were uh, – Involved in a huge fight against uh, with Native Americans, but interestingly enough, Andrew Jackson, who is largely blamed for abuse of Indians because of the Indian War, and 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 he was the 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 leader of that, and they wiped out a couple of tribes, a few tribes here and there, and and so there was there was some pretty. Severe criticism, but one of the odd things about it is that uh, Andrew Jackson actually adopted an Indian boy, a Native American boy, off the battlefield. They had, they had, a, they had Andrew Jackson and Rachel had a son, uh, Lynn Coya, who was a Native American Creek Indian, and they pulled and Andrew Jackson. Uh, physically pulled him off the battlefield and adopted him after they decimated the tribe that he was in and, and his family. So Lincoya grew up as Andrew Jackson's present Andrew Jackson's son. So Andrew Jackson had a Native American son. Unfortunately, Rachel uh, died right before uh, the inauguration, but uh, she she took care of Lincoya too when he was pulled off the. Uh, the battlefield right there. So there's all kinds of different sides to a lot of these different stories out there. And that particular statue in California showing the Spanish cowboy, the Catholic missionary, and the Native American on his back should not be offensive to people, or maybe it should be, and they can discuss it. Like, for instance, you watch that statue, you look at that statue, and you... um, and you see the Native American down at the feet of the Catholic missionary and the Spanish cowboy, and maybe your 11-year-old son or daughter is going to say, why is that Indian on his back like that? Why is that Native American? I'm sorry. I keep saying Indian. I'm, so- I'm sorry. I'm not, I can't change. Indian, 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 Indian. Native American, Native American, Native American. Just, I'm going to say Indian every once in a while, just the way it is. But anyway, why is that Native American on his back, Daddy? And that's a good question because that allows you to tell them, well, you know what? Uh, when when they, the, the Spanish, Spanish and the Catholic missionaries and these guys founded this part of California, they uh, warred with the Indians. The Indians didn't – the Native American – sorry, son, Native American. Yeah, that's what your daughter or son would say. Daddy, it's not Indian. It's Native American. Okay. So yes, so they did that on the on the uh, 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 they, they, the Native Americans didn't like people coming on their land, and the Spanish cowboy and the Catholic missionary said, "Yeah, but 
we're going to live here anyway because this technically is our land too because we came over here and this is the the bottom line. We're going to go ahead and do this. And so they warred and the Native Americans lost. And this is a depiction of that war. And then maybe your 11-year-old son or daughter would say, yeah, but couldn't they just get along? And you'd say, yeah, you wish they would have, but for whatever reason, they didn't. And so that's kind of part of the history. And we don't, and, and son or daughter, I can't tell you whether or not the Catholic missionary is wrong or the Native American was wrong, but this statue depicts a time in our history when Native Americans didn't like people running around on their land and other people who came over here from other lands wanted to be here. And that's just how it worked. And somebody had to lose. And, and they didn't have – it's too bad they did, but somebody had to lose. And uh, the – hang on a second here. Hold on. Okay, bro. Okay, listen. I, 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 no, I'm, I'm going to call you on, on Skype. I'm sitting here babbling about uh, uh, Native American statues. I'm sorry. I'll be, I'll be with you in one second, okay? Okay. You got time? All right. All right. Yeah, I'll be there in one second, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, see now, now I have my guests calling me like, "Where, where are you?" I'm like, "I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here babbling about statues, telling my people about statues." So anyway, that's that's and and Dan points out, um, you know, history should never be really offensive, so that to the point where you remove it. And in fact, when I was talking with uh, Mama Kay and Lacey Reinhardt from uh, HauntedSTL hauntedstltours.com and Tim and we talked about a little bit about that and I followed up with a conversation with Lacey when she was taking me around uh, town to Belfont and other places that, that you know uh, there's, there's a similar history here in St. Louis and there are a lot of people who uh, are commemorated and, uh, and put up on pedestals who would be similarly attacked for being mean to Native Americans and Clark was one of them. I mean, he- heaven forbid some people go out to uh, Bell Fountain Cemetery and decide that they're going to remove certain monuments and things like that. Or, or heaven forbid you remove a, a Lewis and Clark monument. I mean, hell, we've, we ce- we've celebrated Lewis and Clark here in, in St. Louis right there on the riverfront, the arch crowds and everything else for God knows how long. Well, uh, they – they had they had good relations with some Indians, and you know the, the 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 peace coins, you know what those are, and everything else, peace medallions, and all that kind of stuff. But there were there were some people moved out of here. I'm just telling you, and and that's just history. That's just the way it is. And and the more we turn people onto that, the better off. But that statue, you remove that statue in California, and you've removed any opportunity to explain to the children certain levels of history that might actually not be easy to explain and might not be happy times, but they're part of history. If you just, you just, by removing that statue, you've taken that out of the equation. You've taken out the possibility that an 11 or 12 year old young boy or girl will get educated on the history of the very ground they're walking on. That's sad. You cancel Norm McDowell's appearance because he'd said something about uh, Roseanne and something about Louis C.K., you cancel his appearance on Tonight Show, you know what? 
no one then has any answers as to where Norm McDonald's was coming from or, 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 or any discussion about anything. You, you keep on trying to keep people down and keep people suffocated and keep people buried. You're never going to hear full stories. You're never going to hear, hear, hear about, about this. You're never going to hear uh, the truth or at least facts put forth to you so you can, you can decide what your own truth is. Never going to hear that. Keep suffocating it. And, and one more thing uh, I will tell you, and because and, and I, I hate to always bring it up uh, where, the, where the intercom thing and everything else, but you realize it was interesting. I was thinking about this, this last night because occasionally I'll have to go back in time and figure out what the hell was going on during the time. And you realize that after that whole tweet controversy happened, I was told uh, not to say anything. I was told not to say anything on air, not to defend myself, not to uh, explain the context. I was told to keep quiet because they'd all go away. To, to keep quiet because they, they, would all, they, would, they would all go away eventually, and they're all just a bunch of kooks. And so, boom, they're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're off. We're, don't say anything. They'll go away. Then, interestingly enough, there was a person I work with, and I, 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 ha- I remember that, uh, that Michael's Flooring Outlet decided they were going to double up on their ads to support me. They, they said, we're not, we're not only not leaving, we're going to double our ad buy in defense of Jamie Allman. So you guys know that the, these guys aren't going away. So Michael's Flooring Outlet comes out. And I'm eventually going to get Michael back on the show here. Michael's flooring outlet comes out uh, and says, I'm going to double up on your ad. So I talk to these guys. I say, we should promote that. We should tell people that's going on. We should be able to – we should tell people publicly that Michael's flooring outlet is, uh, is doubling up their ads. That's big news. Huge news. They told me not to say anything about that too. No – don't do anything like that because we wouldn't want to have Michael's Flooring Outlet get all kinds of phone calls from these kooks. So we shouldn't say anything about that either. And then I realized in, in, going, in going back on that, why didn't they want me to defend myself or say anything about it in, 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 when I'm actually a broadcaster here for 17 years? At the very least, I'm owed the ability to respond when everybody is trashing me publicly, I should be able to respond. I'm thinking, why wouldn't they let a broadcaster whose business it is to communicate, communicate? Why wouldn't they let me talk? And then when my advertisers were all saying they were going to either leave or they were going to double down on their advertising, why wouldn't that be something we would say? Then I realized that they had intended on getting rid of me the entire time. That, 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 that they knew that if Sinclair was going to do something, and they knew Sinclair was going to do something, so they knew they'd give it time, and they knew Sinclair ultimately because, first of all, Sinclair was in a merger deal, and they were going to cancel the show in June anyway. Because the show was once everything it was going to happen anyway in all likelihood, they knew 
that Sinclair was going to get rid of me. And so they were just waiting for Sinclair to get rid of me. And that became the reason why they got rid of me is because cause, yeah, they kept telling me all throughout the entire time, everything's going to be fine, but if Sinclair does something, that's going to be a game changer. But again, I could have, and, 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 and unfortunately, that's why that's the basis of my argument with them. My contract doesn't, in, in, in radio, wasn't dependent on what Sinclair did. There was no clause in there that says, if Sinclair does something, then we will do this. No clause in there. And yet they were telling everybody, including advertisers, that it was Sinclair's fault that I was fired. Because they were just waiting for Sinclair to do something. And when, if Sinclair did something, it, they, didn't, they didn't care about the tweet. They didn't care about that at all. They cared about their own situation uh, publicly, and they, and, they, and they cared about what Sinclair was going to do. But it had nothing to do with the tweet. And, and, and actually, unfortunately for them, we have every shred of evidence to prove it. Every text message, every email, every discussion, everything to prove it. And, and once we go in front of a jury, it will be abundantly clear that my firing had nothing to do with the tweet. Nothing. And therefore, they violated my contract. But again, that's where, you know, again, trying to keep these voices down, there's a reason why people like to keep people down for a number of reasons. They didn't want Norm MacDonald on The Tonight Show because they didn't want him to bring up the fact that Roseanne Barr was probably – the whole thing was overdone. They don't want to bring up Louis C.K. because that's all sexual assault stuff and NBC's responsible for covering it up, and they didn't like that either, so they need to keep him quiet. They want to erase a statue out there in California because you know what? They want to be able to erase history, suffocate it, so they can tell their own story. And usually the story's imbalanced. And that's why I, I dovetailed it into uh, this situation with, with me because that's, that's what they did. I was thinking about this. It just dawned on me last night because the, the thing that was the kicker for me was when they, when they wouldn't let me tout on the air that advertisers were doubling their money, doubling their money. Now, of course, you didn't hear that story, did you? You didn't. You didn't hear anything about. Uh, you didn't. Uh, you didn't hear anything about that. You heard nothing about all the advertisers who were threatening to leave. If I, if I was fired, and you heard nothing for, about the advertisers who were doubling their money. Nothing. Nothing from them. You heard none of that uh, uh, talk at all. And, and, and so, you know what happened is the media was allowed, the media was allowed to tell its story, and I was not allowed to tell my story. The newspapers... And the news media, they were allowed to t- – and, and, the, and the whack jobs and the left-wing kooks were all allowed to tell their story, and I wasn't. And there was a reason behind it, and believe me, we'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to prove that once and for all, I'll tell you. So anyway, that's how it works. You know, you, you erase – the more voices you erase, uh, the better off you are be, to be able to tell your story unfettered. And that's, of course, why the left-wing hates this show. 
and why they did hate my show. Because right, because right now, uh, the other guys, even in in so called conservative radio, are still eunuchs. They're scared to death of their liberal masters over there at Intercom. And so, you're going to have uh, milk toast all the way, ongoing. Because uh, and believe me, uh, Intercom not only fired me, but they wanted to send a message to uh, the remaining staff. That's what they, that that was their other goal. That's the other that's the other outcome when you erase voices and you and you oppress people is that you send a message to uh, you send a message to uh, the rest of the people and they fall in line pretty fast once they see somebody's uh, the the attempt to uh, to ruin somebody's career. Intercom knows those people who work over there now. Intercom basically has subtly told them, we can do whatever we want to you, too. So you better stay, you better stay in line. That's, that's how they do it. They, they, will, they will scare you. Oh, and, and, and as, uh, as, uh, as uh, I, let's see, uh, Debbie points out, yeah, they wouldn't let anyone. People who called into my show to defend me, they wouldn't let them on the air. They erased Facebook posts that I still have that have been deleted supporting me. Once I was off the air, they deleted Facebook posts that actually I have, and I have proof they deleted them. They deleted Facebook posts of people who came on and said, where's Jamie, and were, were, uh, were pissed off about it. Everything else, they deleted those Facebook posts. And I, I, can, I can prove that too. They deleted the Facebook posts and then gave away advertising to the people just to keep them there. So anyway, that's the story. It's, it keeps going. Jeff Florida. Oh. I wonder if he's going to um, just not answer the phone now to punish me. Yo. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, listen, buddy. I'm sorry. That's right. Okay. You're on the air, though, just so you know. I'm on the air. All I, right. I, Good just, I don't know. You, you know, you're not a much of a cusser or anything, but I just didn't just wanted to make sure you knew that you were actually on the air. Because I, I, uh, I can't cuss. <laughs> well, you, well, yeah. Actually, you can cuss. It's I funny. Gonna, I thought we were going to talk about Kim Gardner. Right? <laughs> it's funny because people say, uh, so now that you're on your stream and everything else, you get all these listeners, are you going to start cussing? And I'm like, wait a minute. Um, why would I start doing something that I didn't have it done for 17 years, which was cuss on the air? So occasionally, I think I said BS, uh, the, the full word the other day. So occasionally, you know, it, it can happen. But uh, you're, you're not you're not going full Howard Stern, though. No, no. no. But, but I think we can safely say, though, what Kim Gardner is doing is bullshit, though. I'll tell you that. Yes, that's the. Uh, Description. So what what's going on now? Because we heard we heard the story about the uh, twenty eight officers that that she's basically shunning. How, what's going on? And by the way, Jeff Warda is uh, the head of the uh, police officers union there in St. Louis City. And also, by the way, you're going to be the are you going to be the next Jefferson County executive? Well, that's in the hands of the voters right now. But I I sure like to be. I, I think I'm the most qualified candidate, and I I think. Uh... I think I'm well suited to that position. I, I hope the voters will see it the same way. 
Yeah, Jeff is a uh, is a really good uh, Jefferson County guy, a typical Jefferson County Democrat. Let's put it that way. Uh, these guys are supportive of uh, gun rights. They're generally just the kind of old school uh, Democrats. Uh, they're supportive yep, of pro, pro law enforcement. Yeah, pro law for pro pro union. Pro law enforcement. Pro life. I mean, it's. So, so there are some good, really good people down there in Jefferson County. Always love that nice mix and and that uh, common sense approach that that, that uh, Jefferson County Democrats take. Anyway, on to the city, which is completely weird. The Democrats in this city are acting strangely. So, how is this thing playing out with Kim Gardner? Well, not well for her, but more importantly, not well for crime victims. Um, you know. Chief Hayden, to his credit, has done a great job. Uh, he he said, "Hey, this was this was unnecessary. Uh, it's unjustified, and I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to go about business as usual." And these officers, until you give me a reason why they can't do their job, I'm going to keep, you know, put them out in the street and keep telling them to to do their job. And if if the prosecutor chooses not to do hers, then that's on on her. Well. Um, uh, so, but, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, as a result, you've got you know people in St. Louis are playing the nine one one roulette here. I mean, they they dial the phone, uh, they they get a, a, a police officer um, who's who Kim Gardner is going to allow that officer to to pursue victim for that or pursue justice for that victim, or they could end up getting an officer that, that inexplicably Kim Gardner's decided cannot get justice for victims. So what you do is you get a bunch of people who quite possibly, they don't know whether or not when they report a crime or they report people who are suspicious or they know that somebody is up to no good, they don't know whether or not that's actually going to ever really truly be heard. Right, right. And here, and the, the effect is even larger than that because – Kim Gardner won't tell anybody why they're on this list. Uh, the other 1,150 officers out there are are worried. Hey, what you know? What do I? What could I possibly do that might end me up on on one of her lists? Um, so they're afraid to do their job, and and as a result, the whole department's shut down, and uh, crime victims are the losers, and criminals are the winners. And, you know, it's interesting, too, uh, and I know you mentioned crime victims, but uh, really, uh, Jeff, uh, and you know, and the police officers all know this, too, that the, the, there's, there's, there are a few ways of, of fighting crime. Obviously, there, there are the ones where you make the arrests and they are sent off to j- prison, and that's how, how it works. But you guys are really de- dependent on people who feel comfortable enough and confident enough to talk to you. And that's always been a problem because what happens is uh, there's a revolving door. So uh, some person on Ren Avenue uh, decides they're going to tell the truth about somebody down the street on Ren Avenue, and the police come and get them. But unfortunately, uh, the, the next day, they see the person they just told on. And at that point, that scares you. Uh, and 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 luckily they'll they'll live through, if they're lucky they'll live through it, but what they happens it, it, what happens is then they suddenly um, uh, d- stop telling and the, and and the word on the street is that you don't tell because you're just going to see the guy you told on again it's in 24 hours. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, 
and here, I mean, let's, you know, the, if I were Kim Gardner, I would, I'd hide under my desk and keep my mouth shut because, you know, all of this is, has shown a bright light on her deplorable record uh, as a prosecutor. You know, let me, let me give you some, some stats, Jamie. In, in 2017, we had uh, over 200 murders in St. Louis. Out of those 200 murders, Kim Gardner's office only charged 58 of those murderers. Out of 58 of those murderers, she only put nine in jail, and eight of them pled guilty. She only put one on jail, one in jail in front of a jury. And here's the most startling statistic of all: out of those nine murderers, the average sentence was less than 10 years each for murder. Wow. Uh, yeah, isn't that stunning? So, so what is it that? You know, clearly Kim Gardner is not a criminal herself that we know of, although uh, the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, Eric Greitens' attorneys would probably have a different. I, I, I know, I know, but 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 the fact of is, why would you why would you even do that? I mean, why why would you even approach the office that way? Well, she ran as a social justice reformer, and um, you know she's. She's reforming the criminal justice system. She thinks, she thinks that um, what she's doing, which is turning criminals loose on society, is is good for our society and good for criminal justice. And it's it's this whole uh, backwards idea about you know the criminal justice system disadvantaging black people when really uh, what Kim Gardner's doing, which is turning criminals back out on the street is what disadvantages black people. Black people are disproportionately the victims of, of crime and, and particularly violent crime. You know, so she's, she's hurting the very people who put her in office. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine that there's not going to be some sort of uprising. Even the, the, the Marxist Riverfront Times took out after her in a, in a, a scathing in-depth article yesterday about um, how inept her office is. I mean, she she can't even keep keep the the Maoists on her side. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 groundbreaking news there is that the Riverfront Times did something in depth, which is uh, um, the, the the biggest news that I've. They I've... should they should probably stick to writing toasted ravioli <laughs> and stick, you know, stay away from doing news stories. But yeah, you know, that aside, I'm. I'm glad that they oh, ordered her because she's got it coming. Yeah, well, even the people who make toasted ravioli don't like them, so I don't know where they're, where they're going to go where they're going to go from this. But but the other but but to your point too, Jeff, and and this is what's I I hope for instance that she and Wesley Bell don't share the same philosophy because because uh, uh, th- that just is going to mean trouble now in St. Louis County uh, with this, but. Uh, also, when it comes to uh, these individuals, I'm also hearing, and this was <laughs> Linda called it a random act of journalism from the RFT. Yeah, my people are funny. Uh, oh, and one quick thing though. Also, there's a person on Facebook, Scooter here. Uh, he is wondering: is it is it are some of these 28 guys are um, are uh, she won't? You're saying she won't say why uh, they are not being listened to, but are some of them suspended or? What's the that's the rumor at least? Uh, I, I've really tried to avoid talking about anything that would tend to identify these officers, whether they still work for the department, race, gender, age, time on the time on the department. Um, so I'll, instead of answering that question, I'll just say this: the 
the case that went all the way up the Supreme Court, a case called Brady, laid out the procedures for disqualifying police officers as witnesses. And and she's gone against everything in there. They it says that the officers first of all have to, you know, be advised of why they're on this list, that they have to have due process to, to defend themselves against the, the accusation for why they're put on the list. And that there has to be a finding that they're that they've been dishonest or deceptive uh, in order for them to be put on the list. And finally that the, that when you make a list like this, it doesn't mean an officer can't testify in court. Doesn't mean that they can't apply for for uh, an arrest warrant. It just means that the, the information has to be disclosed to the judge and to the uh, to the opposing counsel. And she's done none of that. None of these guys have a finding of of dishonesty against them, um, and none of them have had a, a due process right to defend themselves because they haven't been accused of anything. Yeah, nobody knows what they did. Well, and see, and and there's a method to this, in my opinion, and and uh, and it might just be my criminal mind, uh, as as Kim Paris would always say. But but here's the thing: uh, if you are doing this, and you're Kim Gardner, and you come up with some list of people, and you have not had to prove uh, any kind of dishonesty or any kind of problem with them. What it opens the door to is you arbitrarily not taking reports or warrants or whatever information from other people randomly or or from other people you choose not to take them from. So what what I believe is that this is is her testing the waters, taking um, certain people who uh, she might not want, or maybe maybe even a couple of them don't actually deserve to be listened to, whatever. But either way, she's not having hey, to hey, prove maybe, it. Hey, Jamie, maybe one of them arrested her boyfriend. Maybe maybe this is just a Trojan horse to, to get one guy from being able to testify against you know, that, somebody that, that she doesn't want to go to jail. I mean, until she tells us why she put these officers on the list and what the justification for the list is, then anything's possible. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's it's inbounds to 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 suppose that any motivation could be possible here because right. she's just not telling us what her motivation is. That is, you you just put that a hell of a lot more articulately than than I did, and that is the idea of a Trojan horse is that is that this is all cover for you. You'll you'll choose twenty eight because you really just kind of want one. Uh, you, you want one targeted, and so you'll just take right. the, the – that's a very interesting way to look at it. And, and that's what's scary about it is because she's – right now, uh, as a lot of people do, especially people who are corrupt do, is they test the waters a little bit to see how much they can get away with, and then they run amok. So that's kind of how yeah. things work. Um, well, she's already amok. <laughs> right, exactly. Now uh, – Here's and I know you slipped something in there regarding uh, an officer who arrested one of her friends. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to uh, see how that whole thing works out. So what's the end game here then? If she's already violating uh, what is clearly a Supreme Court or, or a court decision, what happens? What, what's the recourse? Well, we're one for one in court already. We you know we went in front of Judge Stelzer last week. He issued a temporary restraining order. Uh, to prevent her or the police department from releasing the names on this list, list no matter. I mean, clearly she wants this leaked out. I mean, that's one of the purposes she she did it for is to yeah. 
disrepute these, these officers and she wants it to spill out. And, um, you know, to a certain extent, you know, things have been said by her office that tends to identify people on this list, which is, you know, very dangerous and, and very um, sloppy. Uh, you know, but we'll we'll get a full hearing on the restraining order, and um, you know I hope we get to disp- depose her and and depose her chief warrant officer and um, ask them uh, some uncomfortable un- un- uh, questions about their uh, their prosecutorial overreach. Here. Yeah, um, and and then and then we're not done. I mean, we got five of our best attorneys looking at this, and we'll uh, we'll litigate it in whatever way the law allows. And you mentioned something there, too, that she wanted this out. I imagine there's – I just got through talking about uh, how some people who uh, do not have uh, – who are, have nefarious uh, motivations love to put the chilling effect on people and, and, and get it out there. I talked about Entercom getting rid of me. Basically, it was also a message to the rest of the people there. They better fall in line and everything else. But so when she gets that message out, uh, aside from wanting it leaked out uh, for a reason, one of the other reasons might be because uh, she wants other officers on notice that if they run afoul of her, she could make their life difficult. Correct? Right. Yeah. The, it's not just the person wearing the scarlet letter that that's behavior is changed by by that innuendo. I mean, and um, it, it, it does sort of ring a McCarthyism, doesn't it, Jamie? I mean, oh yeah, you know, the, the, it's it's you know, accusation with without um, explanation, and uh, you know, it, that's very dangerous when you when you have so much power that you can destroy a person's reputation without ever having to answer or ever having to be accountable um, for for that that character assassination. Yeah. Now, uh, one, one other quick question that I find this is something that really, really bothers me. And it's not just because for looking out for the safety of business owners and people in St. Louis, but also for the safety of police officers. The news came out and this was inexplicable why the this would come out simultaneously. They talked about the anniversary of the Stockley verdict. Then it was subheaded with, oh, by the way, the city council has announced that none of the people who were assaulting and damaging property are actually going to be charged with a crime. They're not going to file charges against them. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how, could, you, how could any responsible government entity and law enforcement entity like the city council's office possibly telegraph – to mobs of people that if they do something, they're not going to be charged because the people who did something in the past aren't going to be charged. So if I'm a police officer who's preparing for some kind of unrest with the another anniversary of the Stockley verdict thing, or if I'm a business owner who had my windows broken last time and are worried about them being broken again, that's not helping me. I don't know why there's not a for sale sign in the window of every building downtown, Jamie. I really don't. I mean... Um, you know, the, you know, there's billions of dollars in investment downtown and, uh, you know, the, the, the city council's office and city prosecutor are just sending a, a message to, to rioters and criminals that, um, that, you know, that it's, it's, you know, a free for all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, uh. 
Yeah, that's. That... I wouldn't invest in downtown. I mean, this is this is a a real economic problem for for St. Louis. Well, and 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 the, and the thing is, though, I just found out the the other day that there are nine hotels currently being built in downtown St. Louis, and so all these people who are trying to. Uh, invest their blood, sweat, and tears into survivability of downtown and the economic viability of downtown suddenly get slapped in the face by these third-world, jack-booted, thug uh, prosecutors. It's like, you you, 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 you got to be kidding me. So, anyway, that, that was that was very disturbing to me. The problem is that those those folks are not answerable to anybody. Yeah, that, I mean, and, and that's crazy, too. All right. Well, Jeff, uh, keep us posted, and, and I, I really appreciate you joining us on this, and, and thanks for having the, the guts, you guys, to, to fight this, because, you know, I know it's in, – in that environment there, I mean, you, got, you, you work in it every single day. I, I have the privilege of not having to deal with those people every day, but uh, it's, it's tough, man. You got you to gotta, you gotta be, be, stay strong, and I appreciate you doing that, and, and best of luck with the uh, Jefferson County Executives race. Thanks, Jim. All right, man. That's uh, Jeff Fordham. Yeah, I couldn't believe that that was that that happened. The other, I mean, I still can't believe it. I can't, I can't believe a bigger deal hasn't been made of it. You know, I mean, I, I can't believe like any of the none of the news stations are 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 banging on the the doors of the city council's office, going, "What what are you doing?" What's your problem? I can't believe any people in the business associations down there aren't coming out. But you know what? Everybody's scared. Well, the news media, they're, they're always scared. But, but, but the business owners and others are so afraid of uh, if, you, if you defy the city attorney, the circuit attorney, because she's black, you're racist, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're all intimidated that's probably why that's that's because that's the way that's the way these the this these uh, mobsters in the city of st louis operate these are racial mobsters is what they are and, and they will uh they will accuse you of racism and once they do that uh you're finished once they've once they accuse the business of bitching about the city councilor's move um of being just simply against black people uh then that that becomes a target. Everybody's scared. And Linda rightly points out the news stations are on board with it. They probably are. The, the news stations, uh, and although I wouldn't want to speak for the management there or, uh, you know, there, there are still some, hopefully some decent people. Uh, I mean, I know some people over Channel 5, for instance, who are really good people who are not going to, uh, even though Channel 5, well, anyway, uh, are, are good people over there. And, and I wouldn't Say that they, you know, people like uh, Ava Ehrlich and folks like that, they don't want rioting any more than the next guy does. But there is a certain kind of uh, thing where the media is more than happy to have something to sit out and cover live all friggin' day long and get their choppers up for. Uh, and, and rioting sometimes uh, is a really good time filler. So it's it's either a... Uh, if it's a snowstorm or a lot of rain, a tornado, a warehouse fire, or a murder, uh, that the rioting falls right into that category of 
This is easy to cover. doesn't cost us any money. doesn't require us to do any in-depth coverage at all. We just stand out there and let everything happen, and that's what we're writing. But the idea that these people aren't going to be charged with a crime after what they did to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to these individuals and these businesses out there is terrible. Scooter points out that actually it's 13 hotels, not nine. Uh, wow. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing. That, that's pretty damn amazing. So, um, you know, I, I think Rora's point, though, Scooter, is that these people are making these investments, and the least the city can do is try to make and, and try to do everything it can to make the city safer and, and, to, and to protect businesses. And I don't think that a city councilor deciding not to to charge people with vandalism and assault. I don't think that's a good way to protect businesses and protect people who are going downtown. I just I don't I don't see how you could possibly think that that's a uh that's a good way. That's a good good policy by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that's what Warner was saying. So you you say it's not as dire as he points out. It kind of is dire because because of the future, but but the actual economic situation in St. Louis isn't as dire as some people say it is, but uh, the fact that it actually isn't as dire as some people say it is makes it all the more important for us to protect it and all the more important for us to, to make moves that secure it and honor it instead of going the opposite direction. With 13 hotels being built downtown, Scooter, the least you could expect is that a city councilor will punish somebody who broke windows of businesses, destroyed property, and hurt people. I just don't see how you, 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 you can't uh, make sense of that, brother. Just telling you. Just telling you. Hey, Zach. Make some volume on my computer, bro. Just a little bit. Thank you, bud. I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't get it higher, higher here. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, it might be pinning the needle there, but Good morning this morning, live From the Discovery Design Studios, everybody That's where we're at Please make sure you Check out my buddy Michael Proctor for all of your window treatment needs. Proctor spelled like doctor, proctordrapery.com. Michael has his mobile design unit and all the materials you need to beautify your home. If you're looking for maybe uh, something beautiful to do for Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, it's your job to host. You don't want to paint, you don't want to buy new furniture, a window treatment will transform your room into something beautiful. Michael is your interior designer. He is the procurer of all the materials, has everything you need. Modern, vintage, retro, classic. He's got it for you. And he's got a great eye, too. He's a guy who comes in, sizes up the room. You're not going anywhere, by the way. You're not going 15 miles away to the Home Depot, looking at all these materials, bringing them back home again, slapping them here. He comes into his mobile design unit, takes care of you, and you're off to the races. It's a huge value. Proctor spelled like doctor, proctordrapery.com. 
Don't forget also about my folks over at Golden Oak Lending. Your credit card debt, Golden Oak, has the expertise to show you how to refinance your home and turn the increased value into cash. I don't know whether you've checked lately, but your home value has probably increased over the last year and a half or two. And so Golden Oak will give you a free mortgage checkup, which means they can just simply look over things, find out what you got in that home, and see how much you can turn it around into a credit card eraser or a home improver. Golden Oak takes all the risk, too. So if they can't close your loan, they go ahead and just the appraisal's no charge, boom, boom, boom. That's how it works out. Business Journal had three major lenders in this country that they identified. Two of them are major national companies. Golden Oak is national, too, but it's right here at our back door. So the people you're dealing with, everything happens in-house. The people you're dealing with are all St. Louisans. They're all people from this area. They know you. They want you to come back to them five years later, and they'll still be there, believe me. Golden Oaks heritage in town here is just uh, really pretty amazing and impressive. And their mortgage rates are now in the threes, so they'll either save you money or it'll cost you nothing to find out for the mortgage checkup. Go to 314-567-GOLD. That's 314-567-GOLD. You guys see this about the uh, Serena Williams uh, cartoon. <laughs> and the, uh, the Herald Sun, these guys the, the, in, in, uh, in Australia, these guys over there, it's in Melbourne, Australia. These guys have some balls. So they published a cartoon uh, about that, that had Serena Williams uh, having a temper tantrum. And, and I don't know whether you've seen the, the cartoon or not. Um, it was uh, a, a, a big like figure, like a big person, right? And Serena Williams is pretty big uh, with exaggerated pink lips and having a temper tantrum with the with the tennis racket at her feet now as i recall watching serena williams have the temper tantrum that's kind of how it looked although this is a cartoon so it's exaggerated like a lot of cartoons are like when president obama sometimes they'll have a uh They'll have a cartoon depiction of him, and he's got, you know, big ears. Well, and, and larger ears than in real life he has, but he's got some big ears. Dude's got some ears. I'm just telling you. That's just the way it is. Obama has some ears. But that's okay. So when you depict him, they depict him with big ears, like gigantic ears. That's kind of how cartoons are. It's you know, it's exaggerated. Like when they do, uh, I know when they, when they do Donald Trump, the cartoons when they when they cartoon Donald Trump, they always show some big guy with a you know. Uh, I'm talking about Donald Trump now. Obama. I know. Obama. I'm, tomorrow is Obama going to come out with a big speech at some university where he's going to get an ethics award and say. Hey, there were no hurricanes when I was president. Just like the lies he told about the economy and everything else last Friday. 
we'll see. Anyway, with Trump, they do these cartoons, and they always show him with a with a, this big chin, you know, and and a double chin and a gigantic protruding chin and weird hair. And the fact of the matter is, Donald Trump has weird hair, and he has a he has a chin that's pronounced. That's just you know, it's the way he looks. Well, when you cartoon somebody, you, it's why am I explaining? Why why are we having to explain cartoons to people? But in this day and age, apparently, you must explain cartoons to people. And it's funny how, you know, when, when a, let's say, a black political cartoonist portrays President Trump with a big, gigantic chin, we don't say that he's relying on uh, racially insensitive tropes and blah, blah, blah. This is, this is cartooning. First, first of all, uh, I think political cartoons are, are boring and 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 I and I, I get nothing out of them, and 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 they're they're just kind of this old, washed up type of expression that I just find hugely boring, and and not even the remotely entertaining uh, or humorous. But anyway, this cartoon showed her as as being, uh, and and they, and and there were people who and critics, what probably on Twitter. Is that right? Did, did, it, did it trend on Twitter? Is that what happened? No, actually, you know what happened is J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter author, came out and condemned it and said something about it and said it was, uh, it was uh, terrible. And then so she, what she did was she tweeted it out, right? And within minutes, the post received more than 15,000 retweets. Now, first of all, you do realize that that's probably a lie. The 15,000 retweets were probably purchased. Uh, Ryan, my buddy Ryan, my marketing uh, genius, showed me just the other day. He showed me a, uh, a uh, app, and he said, here, look, I can push this button and buy 20,000 retweets. I can I can push this button right now. It'll cost me I didn't know how much it cost. I didn't pay it, I didn't go that deep into it and I could push this button I can buy 15,000 retweets. I can buy I can buy 20,000 followers right now. That's why Twitter really in the end is really just a kind of almost a fake platform. Uh, especially f- with these quasi celebrities who utilize it, radio hosts and things like that, who uh, who say they have you know it's it's uh, two hundred thousand friends. It's like bull crap. You don't have two hundred thousand followers. You you, you bought one hundred and eighty thousand of them at the, at the probably at the very least. And then so the 15,000 retweets, you could tweet something out right now that says that uh, Jamie Allman is a racist. And you could have um, uh, Stacey Newman's idiot stepson or anybody put 20,000 retweets in about uh, 20 minutes. And, and, and all of them will be fake. So anyway... So J.K. Rowling comes out and condemns this cartoon, 
as racist and sexist because she was claiming that the Serena Williams depiction portrayed the typical angry black woman. It's like, uh, well, I don't know. Um, why? What, what is it? I, I does it wouldn't even occur to me the whole concept of an angry black woman. I mean, I'm. I mean, I've seen angry white women, angry white men, angry black men, angry this, angry that. So I'm not quite sure what the typical. I, I, what is the? Can anybody explain it to me? The angry black woman thing? Because uh, I don't. Can anybody explain to me anything in our modern culture that depicts an angry black woman? Now, I know that there's an angry black woman named Maxine Waters. Now, that's a pretty angry black woman. Kamala Harris oftentimes comes across as a pretty angry black woman. But Hillary Clinton comes across as a pretty angry white woman. And Ben Sass comes across as a pretty angry white dude. So I don't know. I just it, it, I don't know what what race has to do with it. But you know, uh, yeah. Linda points out two hundred thousand two hundred thousand retreats with twenty minutes and fifty bucks. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyway, I don't know where this whole angry black woman because because usually in modern culture, uh, black women at least on TV and stuff. I've ne- I don't I don't know where that where that is. I mean, uh, you know, uh, most black women on TV and black men are t- on TV are treated a lot better than white men are. White guys are. I mean, usually the, the role of a white guy is the hapless idiot husband. Uh, the you know, Look at any commercial and the white guy is this hapless idiot husband, hapless idiot dad. You know, with the exception of a couple of shows, one of them was was canceled. Remember that one? What's this guy's name? I think they're bringing it back, though. I I, I don't know. I, I can't, you guys can remind me of, of who that is. But anyway, that show was canceled. The, the one show that actually depicted a uh, a halfway sane white guy was uh, was you know was canceled. Or or so if they're not if they're not the hapless dad or the the hapless husband, they're the pussy usually. You know, relying on other people to do things for him and and un- indecisive and you know, so they're usually the 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 uh, the hipster pusillanimous guy. So I I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, Martha, last man standing, starting on Fox, right? Tim Allen, thank you, Emily, thank you, Martha. You guys are always so reliable. But anyway, yeah. So the. Uh, that so I don't understand how like like is there some kind of uh, pattern of uh, depicting angry black women? No, I don't think that's really a problem. So anyway, J.K. Rowling points it out, and then and then it gets fifteen thousand uh, so-called retweets, and uh, then suddenly it's off to the races, and the Australian newspaper, the Herald Sun, is condemned. So what does the Herald Sun do there in Australia, in Melbourne, Australia? Uh, do they hold a news conference and apologize for the cartoon and fire the cartoonist Mark White and suspend uh, the, the, uh, 
suspend the uh, the guy? Um, uh, Mark Knight, do they do they suspend? We have uh, we've come out. We, we are we apologize uh, profusely for the. Oh, and Margaret, thank you too. Sorry, I didn't. I, you came after the others, so I didn't. That's why I didn't notice it. Um, the, uh, but thank you, Margaret. The, did they have a news conference? Did they did they did they come out and and apologize and issue a front page clarification? We did not intend to portray Serena Williams in this manner as an angry black woman. And we apologize uh, for the actions of this political cartoonist who uh, clearly uh, pushed the boundaries of decency. And therefore, we have decided to suspend his writing and, uh, and, and, and his cartooning uh, for an indefinite period of time. And we also have uh, deleted the online depiction of Serena Williams. And so we apologize profusely. It will never happen again. We understand there are people who are very, very uh, – Offended by this, and we apologize for offending anybody, and in the future, we will be more mindful of uh, the fact that there are people out there who have been through so much, and we must always be careful and mindful to watch out for the sensitivities of others. This cartoon was insensitive. The cartoonist has been uh, punished and reprimanded, and we are terribly sorry. Did they have that kind of news conference or statement? No, 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 no. The paper decided to republish the cartoon on the front page. Yeah. The Herald Sun decided to republish the cartoon on the front page. And, uh, <laughs> and 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 they and they put it up there, and they basically said, you know what, uh, we're not going to put up with the self-appointed censors of Mark Knight. And by the way, this 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 paper is owned by Rupert Murdoch's corporation, and as much as they have done to. Uh, to water down and uh, and cut the balls off of a lot of the people there at Fox News. I'm surprised they actually went the other way here. Although I would say, though, I will tell you in defense of uh, the company, the uh, the the uh, the nighttime is a great great time. I mean, I think I think I think that Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and Sean are. Uh, fantastic. I mean, those, you couldn't you couldn't have a ballsier crew of people than than those three uh, in the evening time there. So it's, it's really great. So it, you, I could do with that. Uh, the only the, the Shepard Smith, the one thing he is good at is covering things like hurricanes and stuff because that's his thing. He used to work in Miami at a station that I almost I almost was hired at. Uh, back in the day, they, they it was a WSVN Channel Seven Miami, and uh, I was going to go down there and work at uh, Channel 7 News, and I was going to be their uh, crime reporter. I was going to, they were trying to recruit me to go down there, and all I'd be doing is running around in a van, like a live van, 
and covering stabbings and shootings and doing live shots from stabbings and shootings down in Miami. I decided not to go there. But Shepard Smith at the time, I think, was there. And that's and he's just one of these he's he's your typical TV news reporter, anchor, dramatic, uh, self-important, creepy, you know, that kind of guy. And so Shepard Smith is a reason why he has a hard time with politics and, and being commonsensical because he's not very smart and he's only really good at covering events that come to him as opposed to events he has to analyze. So anytime you have Shepard Smith re- required to analyze something, uh, that's where things go south because he just isn't very smart. You can tell he's just not a smart guy. But you uh, certainly know he's good at, as a lot of these robots are, uh, they're good at covering events because they don't have to do anything. They just have to report on the events and act like they're in, in central command. And, you know, and, and that, and that's what Shepard Smith is. So, so, so the hurricane is kind of his wheelhouse, give him anything else outside of a hurricane or a murder or something. And, and he's lost. He's a doe eyed, creepy, typical local news guy that just happens to be on Fox and probably apparently has pictures of somebody because that's the only way I can imagine him staying there. But their nighttime stuff is fantastic. Anyway, so the, uh, the Herald son says, you know what? Uh, we're not doing this. And so if the self-appointed censors of Mark Knight get their way on this Serena Williams cartoon, our new politically correct life will be very dull indeed. So good for them. And, and Nicki Minaj was also condemning the cartoon. It's like, oh, shut up. And so the, these guys getting back in the face of these uh, so-called culture warriors and everything else, uh, you know, is it, fantastic and, and really appreciate uh, uh, what they did. And we need more of that in our American media, but I think that all is lost. And I, I, I and, and if we, uh, you know, if we deal with this the right way, we can overcome it. But it just looks like now we have so many pusillanimous companies out there, corporations out there, people who are scared of their own shadow that I just am, uh, uh, afraid that 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 we have no hope of recovering from this political correctness. Obviously, there's there's a level of decency that everybody you know should uh, rely on. But uh, you know, and man, when I think of all this stuff, I, and I and I didn't, I just mentioned David Hogg, right? His name and 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 a, and a colloquialism, and they fired me. I didn't even tweet the guy. Just mentioning his name in the same sentence as a colloquialism panicked the corporate pussies out there. Unbelievable. So anyway, the newspaper's editor also went on to say that um, this has nothing to do with gender or race. It was about a bad sport being mocked and a bad sport being Serena Williams. The guy who was the cartoonist uh, had to deactivate his Twitter account because he got all thousands of critical comments over the image. And I guarantee you, buddy, 
I got news for you. Probably three quarters of those critical comments were fake. They were they were probably uh, put up by somebody the same way that uh, that Stacey Newman's stupid stepson Drew put it together. Uh, and, and so uh, there's a strong possibility that that three quarters of the criticism you got there uh, on uh, on the on that were probably were probably all fake. Most of them. That's what Twitter is. Fake followers, fake retweets, fake criticism, fake accounts. It's all over the place. That's what it is. Yep, that's what it is. Good morning, good morning, everybody. Yes. We are live here from the Discovery Design Studios. Yeah, Discovery Design Inc. Dot com. And our prayers continue for our friends there in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, and beyond. You know, folks, um, I said this earlier, I kind of began the show with it. And so I want to make sure that I double back on it just for a second here. And I do believe that I know all the arguments are going to be made about, oh, hey, we got to uh, we got to work on global warming. And this is the president's fault. And this is this and this is that. And 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 I have to tell you that one of the things we can address and we can take a hurricane more than just a happening or a natural flow of things I have a very weird kind of problem with the last seven days watching the hurricane way way out in the ocean and being told by weather casters and weather reporters and everything else that they're scared of it and they are sending everybody out and people's properties are going to be destroyed and flooded and power is going to be out for weeks, maybe even months. And I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't seem, it seems antithetical to the human instinct to sit there and watch something and know that something really horrible is going to happen. Although now it appears that Florence has weakened, which doesn't surprise anybody. And it's stalled there near the coast. Winds are still up at 110, but it's not, it's not 
possibly going to be as bad as people think it might be. But nonetheless, it really gave me a lot of pause seeing this and, 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 and in a, being in a situation where how do we um, – how can we prevent this? Isn't there a way in, in this day and age that somehow we could somehow get in there – and I know this sounds really pedestrian and maybe even stupid to a lot of you. But isn't there, this, there a way that we can somehow destroy this storm before it hits? Like if we can put a man on the moon or shoot missiles out of the sky or do whatever, couldn't we come up with something that would somehow uh, change the course of the hurricane or uh, – dissipate it or destroy it or shoot it or scream at it or put a big put up a big gigantic uh fan and blow it away i don't know i i you just think but it, but there's something very uncomfortable watching uh, a a uh you know watching something that we know is going to hugely hurt people and so i i'm just i'm i'm trying to Figure that out. But but anyway, that was my discussion earlier. So if you want to get into, I, I had a whole thing about it uh, at the beginning of the show. So if you guys want to go back and listen, it'll be, it'll be on the podcast and it'll also be up there uh, uh, on Facebook. So you can just kind of go back to the very beginning. But I talked about that. And then I talked about also that at the very least, we ought to take a lesson in maybe shoring up our infrastructure because the idea that any American – under any circumstances, would be without power for more than a week isn't right in this country. And it actually is scary from the standpoint of knowing how vulnerable we are because ultimately what happens is, uh, is that you're going, to, uh, you're going to have a situation where uh, terrorists can bring an entire state down, an entire community down, and indeed even, a, even an entire country uh, where you – uh, can bring the power grid down. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's, that's what this is, this is all about. And again, do we have discussions, uh, as Scott's pointing out, people who deny climate change, uh, with all the dead bodies, uh, that might go <laughs> reeducate, that might help reeducate them. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I, you, it's, it's, I don't think people are – the issue isn't that people are denying uh, climate change. They're denying the influence of man on climate change. And, and, and they're denying – I'm talking about the, the destructive influence that other people are claiming. And there are many, many scientists out there who say that man's influence on the climate is – grossly over-exaggerated. These are, these are scientists. These are people who, and there are scientists who say the opposite. I don't think there's any question that, that, uh, that man a- has an influence on the climate. I don't think there's any question that uh, you have uh, depletions of the ozone layer and all kinds of things. But to the degree that it is affecting our climate drastically, 
I don't think you can prove that argument at all. And the only th- all you need to do is go back and watch a weathercast from when we have a significant destruction or s- storm or snowstorm or whatever, and they always tell you about the records, you know, uh, the the uh, the the record set. And they say, uh, the last time it snowed seven feet here was in 1910. It's like, oh, I thought they said we're getting more snow because of climate because they changed it from global warming to climate change because suddenly things started getting cold and icy and weird. And they were like, oh, um, okay, we, we can't call it global warming anymore because it's snowing. It's like, you're right. Okay, climate change. And well, you know, you see, the climate can be affected anyway. It can either be weirdly cold or weirdly hot. Or they they started make, pulling this stuff out of their ass every time they were they were they were challenged on it. Well, no, you see, six feet of snow is climate change too. See, well, okay. Then it said the last time it was 110 degrees on this date in May was in 1904. It's like, oh, you mean before cars were around? Or, or whatever. I mean, come on. So at some point, people do get a little suspicious about, and, and that's where the reality sets in. That's where you can really tell, um, you can really tell that, the, that the, the jury is still out on man's exhaustive influence on climate. On a lower level, you could even see it. In in farms, uh, actually, Lacey from hauntedstltours.com, when she was taking me around, showed me how there are in, in certain parts of Illinois, in rural Illinois, uh, actually, there's some really cool stuff over there, too, man. I got to tell you. And, uh, you know, really ha- – and, and haunted, yes. And historical, yes. And those two merging together are really cool because sometimes hauntings – aren't always bad. Uh, they're educational, which is really a cool concept, I got to tell you. And sometimes they are kind of bad. They're kind of creepy, but oftentimes they're educational. Anyway, as you're driving through uh, the corn and, and soybean fields and that kind of stuff, you realize sometimes uh, there is uh, a level of humidity that can be caused uh, by corn growth, soybean growth, and there is – I forgot what she called it, but it was a, a phenomenon that is, happens a lot in some rural towns, especially when there are individuals who are overgrowing. And you all know, remember with the ethanol deal – I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, uh, pardon the pun – but with the ethanol deal, when ethanol was passed and all these guys were paid to grow corn – you know, and then so they had gigantic fields of corn, and then of course ethanol wound up being kind of a joke and wasn't used to that point. By then, the politicians made all their money investing in fertilizer. I don't know whether you guys knew that or not, but that's why ethanol was passed so quickly. They all invested. They all invested in fertilizer companies and got rich once ethanol was passed. Fertilizer, of course, being used to grow the corn. So anyway, they they uh, then then these farmers were growing all this corn, and and then ultimately. Um, they would overgrow. You'd have these massive corn crops or massive soybean crops or whatever. And, and actually the plants themselves create a humidity that is uh, – that, that changes the climate of that particular area there because of the uh, output of the plants, whatever that is. Okay, I didn't go that far into it, so I'm just, just telling you. But anyway, that changes things. And not, never, never mind the fact that uh, – 
the they grew all this corn and then they didn't know what to do with it. So they use it for corn syrup. That's why you can buy a 200-ounce Big Gulp with its own Coast Guard for 10 cents at the 7-Eleven because corn syrup is so cheap and so overabundant that they're, they're basically giving it away because corn is overgrown in this country. I'm just telling you. Uh, but but to, to my point about that, yes, that, that's, that's kind of how, how it happens. So, there, so, yes, you can change the climate. You can change things uh, locally with what you do. That's just the, how it happens. You uh, saw you go downtown St. Louis and you see, um, you see the, uh, the uh, city hall. And you're saying, what's all that black stuff on city hall? Well, it's soot from the factories, and and that changed locally uh, the temperatures here, and you know, but 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 did it ultimately do long lasting damage to the client, climate to where it's snowing more and raining more and hurricaning more or tornadoing more in St. Louis? No, it did stay in the buildings, and then we got into you know more clean uh, ways of uh, doing factory work and and all that kind of stuff. But there's still signs that yeah, you're putting stuff out there and it's sticking to the to the to the walls of city hall it's doing something to the local environment that's that's for sure so it so it does happen but this idea somehow that uh that that we are causing more snow and more hurricanes is ridiculous and i played you earlier the the bill nye the science guy who he, he, every time this something like this happens there's bill nye the science guy with his stupid bow tie and yellow suit on crabbing about global warming and, how, and, and, and boasting about how smart he is and attacking Republicans. So that's usually what we're, what we're getting. But, you know, they were saying that, oh, yeah, but he rolled back all these Obama-era uh, EPA regulations. Oh, yeah. You mean the Obama era where we had no bad weather at all because he picked up his pen and his phone? No. I can't wait till Obama, by the way, has that speech at the university tomorrow. Is he going to have another one? There were no hurricanes when I was president. It's like, yeah, right. There will just be more lies. Anyway, some people, though, don't have as good a luck when when they are trying to politicize the the disaster and disaster response. You saw how uh, they were were all on MSNBC, NBC, CBS, and everything else trying to mock the president – for his response to Hurricane Florence, even though it hadn't happened yet, didn't stop them. Anyway, these uh, the disaster relief now is going to become somehow the pivotal point by which they're going to try to uh, to to stab President Trump and Republicans. And Andrea Mitchell tried it and didn't have a whole lot of luck. Because she decided that she was going to take on a uh, a person who had a little more information uh, than 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 she did uh, about the situation, so uh, we she went on and she got her ass handed to her. Uh, and, and this is a FEMA administrator in D.C. who took her on, and so she was trying to make she was trying to get this FEMA administrator to to be part of her little political attack, and, and it didn't really work out very well for her. 
Gabe Gutierrez and a lot of others, but the fact is, just as after Katrina, where there was terrible infrastructure in parts of New Orleans, uh, that is a federal responsibility. These are American citizens. Uh, no, what you're actually wrong on that. It's not a federal responsibility to up, uh, upkeep the infrastructure. Actually, most of the infrastructure in this company is owned by the private sector. FEMA doesn't control uh, the maintenance of the infrastructure. And if you remember, uh, when I went back for the third supplemental after Congress, I had to ask for special authorities. It's never been done before to fix the deferred maintenance uh, or the, the infrastructure well, that was allowed to rise. But, so, but the emergency so rescue is the federal responsibility, is the point I'm trying to make. No, she wasn't trying to make that point. But this guy who was, uh, was involved in this, uh, he's the FEMA administrator, said, you're wrong. We don't handle we don't handle power grids and that's that's not what that's not what FEMA does, you idiot. And you know, again, it doesn't matter what the truth is. These individuals are going to put somebody up there who uh, will will fill in their already predisposed narrative about uh, about what's happening. And again, to my point though, is infrastructure an issue? Yeah. Is it something we should deal with? Yeah. Is our power grid something that we should take seriously? Absolutely. Is there any reason in the world why hundreds of thousands of our fellow Americans should ever be without power for more than a week, regardless of the circumstance? Absolutely not. There's no reason for it. And we could do it. But let me get – and I'll give you an example because, uh, because Scott was hazing me earlier. I think it was him. Uh, when I was talking about this, when he was talking about my fantasy about having everything under underground, uh, I'll I'll give you this, and and I'll end with this. All you have to do is look at what the cable companies have done. I'm talking about cable TV. What the cable companies have done, and what the cable companies have done is over the past 15 years or so concentrated on putting many of their lines underground. The cable companies have for TV, putting their lines underground so that they don't get stung by bad weather, weather events, whatever, and have people complain. Because when you're with AT&T and you have your cable go out, you get angry and you call AT&T and what do you do? You threaten to go to charter, don't you? Or when your charter goes out and it's dark uh, because it rained, uh, what do you do? You go ahead and you, uh, you complain to charter and you say, I'm going to AT&T. When your power goes out, your lights go out, what do you do? Well, you call Ameren. And you sit there and listen to a recording telling you when your power is going to go back up. And you'll say when. And Amron will say when we're good and ready. Right? Because you can't say to Amron, yeah, well, if you don't put my power back up, I'm going to go over to Acme Electric Company. Because there is no such thing. There's Ameren, and that's it. Now, of course, in other rural areas, they have electric cooperatives and things like that, but, but that's what you have. You have Ameren. So interesting to see how dedicated uh, the cable companies are to putting their stuff underground 
and how not dedicated Ameren is to putting its stuff underground. And what do you think the difference is? Well, I just told you. The difference is there's competition in the cable world and none in the electric world. So if, if your power goes out, you can suck it. Now, in defense of uh, Ameren, uh, I, I, will, I will tell you uh, that the fact of the matter is, and you talk to anybody who's a line worker or whatever, uh, that really the reality is that uh, lines that are up in the air on poles are easier to fix when something goes wrong. And so being able to climb up on a pole, change a deal, blah, 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 whatever they do, uh, deal with that, that's, that's more efficient uh, in terms of repairing things. But let's put, let me ask you this then. So if it were underground, perhaps it wouldn't have the same kind of uh, repair needs as if the ones are hanging up there on a pole. Right? I mean, ultimately, maybe the fact that it's on the pole itself is why you have to go up and repair it every once in a while anyway. If it were underground, it would be a different kind of technology, the fiber optic, whatever, and you'd be able to uh, deal with it that way. I realize it's pie in the sky, but Ameren has the money. They have the ability to do this. And I have to tell you that, uh, you know, it is kind of strange if you just kind of take yourself out of the, the, the realm of acceptability of things. Uh, driving around, and you, yeah, Linda points out, yeah, oftentimes the, the, the reason why they're repairing it is because a tree fell on it. Well, a tree's not going to fall on an underground cable, and if it does, that's a big story. Tree falls on an underground cable, everybody. Now, that's news. That would be news. So anyway, uh, it is kind of weird to go uh, and uh, travel around and if you just kind of uh, act like you just landed here on a spaceship, you'd be like, it's so weird that it's 2018 and I'm watching how people are getting their power and basically it's just a bunch of wires hung up on a bunch of poles, which is kind of odd. It's kind of like uh, still cranking a car engine with a crank. It's kind of like, that seems antiquated to me. And you know what? It is. Now, again, I will defer to the experts in this field, and, and, and I'm sure if you're with Ameren or you're with uh, somebody, I'm sure you have an answer for me, and I, I get it. I'm just kind of talking more generally and trying to figure out uh, how this goes because uh, there, there are some people who say there are subdivisions where they have underground uh, electricity and they never are without power. So again, maybe maybe these kinds of uh, catastrophes and things uh, can, can, can inspire us to be perhaps a little more innovative about what we do and more creative about what we do as opposed to just simply uh, living with this acceptable level of destruction and misery that we get when it comes to a storm. Can we dissipate the storm with some kind of laser-guided laser beam, missile, whatever? Uh, maybe. But until that happens, maybe we can take some time to uh, to just kind of look out for people and maybe do something that is uh, more innovative and interesting. That's all. Yeah. Anyway, by tomorrow, we'll know a lot more about the uh, situation in, in with Hurricane Florence 
And so I uh, will certainly keep uh, abreast of that, and 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 tomorrow morning uh, we'll be talking about it. And uh, so uh, just keep keep praying for our fellow Americans. It looks like this thing might be toning down a little bit, so uh, that's always good news. Thank you again to Golden Oak Lending. Thank you to Tracy Ellis, tracyellis.com. Thank you to Santino Cigars and Cocktails. Thank you to Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. Thank you to Proctor Drapery, Proctor spelled like doctor, proctordrapery.com. And thank you to Naputi Wellness, naputiwellness.com. And remember, folks, if you all are in the market for marketing yourselves with a powerful tool, may I remind you that Radio Free Almond has more Facebook interaction than any radio show in St. Louis. More Facebook interaction, more Facebook viewers than any other radio station, radio show in St. Louis. In fact, there are radio stations currently selling copious amounts of advertising to people who have half the likes my Facebook page has. And they're an entire radio station. I'm just on in the morning so far. We're going to fill it up, obviously. And then, of course, you have the stream, which is powerful as well. Reaching tens of thousands of people a week. And these are people who are dedicated to this show, dedicated to this product. They're not just casually listening. These are people who have to actually push a button to get on and involve themselves to get on. And that's a pretty big statement, I have to tell you. Huge statement. So with the Radio Free Almond product, you have directed power, a very loyal audience, and people who love to reward people who keep people they like on the air and out there and free. So just so you know, it pays off, I guarantee you, to be a supporter of Radio Free Almond. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, all of you who are... I'm just looking at the last names on there. That's all. For all of you who have listened to the show and are on with me, and uh, thanks a ton. You guys are the best. I appreciate you. Hopefully not more than you know, because hopefully you know how much I do. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.